Good morning. It is a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Glenn. He's Griffin. lot to do on the program today. Keith Law is going to join us in a few minutes. Talk about his Orioles prospect rankings. Is Samuel Basayo untouchable? We'll discuss that with Keith Law a little bit later on this morning. It's Tuesday, so we'll get into County Sports Zone Radio with Wes Brown. Talk, uh, I guess, some Terps. I don't know why, but I, I guess. I don't even know what we would talk about. You're making the tournament. What are you <clears throat> no, they're certainly not. Well, there's definitely. But we'll definitely talk some uh, lacrosse. Stunning chance. loss for Towson. And uh, the legacy elected Drizelle with our friend Patrick Stevens. Stunning stunning basketball loss for Towson. Yes, yes. a very good lacrosse win. Yes, that is needed. true. They, they uh, pummeled Navy on Saturday, which was needed. a little unexpected. Um and then later on in the program, our friend Terry Hasseltine, Executive Director of Maryland Sports, will check in with us. CIAA tournament coming back to Baltimore next week. We will discuss that, among other things, with our friend Terry Hasseltine. So that's all on the way today. Today's show brought to you by Superbook. Tonight, Maryland, that Wisconsin. Seven-point dogs. I get it. Maryland stinks. But keep in mind, Wisconsin's won just one of their last six games. And it's road Jameer Young. It is road Jameer Young. <clears throat> that moves you. I don't know how you can be moved by anything Maryland basketball related, but if it does. Jameer Young's a good heel. I hear you. It moves you. Superbook.com. Download the Superbook app. Use the code GlennClark23. When you sign up, you'll receive up to $250 in a same-day first bet match, win or lose from Superbook. All right, a uh, couple things to cover. Bad news on the uh, scratch him off the list then front as a day after a couple of pitchers had already come off the list. Another one comes off the list today. Hyunjin Ryu is no longer an option as perhaps a flyer the Baltimore Orioles if they are in the market for one more pitcher. Hyunjin Ryu is headed to the KBO. He will pitch for the Hanwha Eagles, where he apparently pitched from 2006 to 2012. So he's uh, coming home, if you will, like LeBron James once upon a time. Tell the world that I'm coming home. Bring a title back to Hanwha. I Sure. Did he win a title in Hanwha before? I, I, well, that's what I mean. He's right, but did he win one already? Because it wouldn't be quite the same as LeBron James, who won titles in Miami but never won one in Cleveland until he came back. So I don't know if it's the same circumstance. <clears throat> I just know that he was someone that a lot of us thought about as maybe a pitcher that the Orioles could take a flyer on, and they haven't won their they haven't won the KBO World Series since 1999. So. Could be big. Could yeah. be big for Yunjin Ryu. What's the what's their future in? Uh, was he on the the Mickey Mouse World Series team with the Dodgers? Um, Did he get a World Series ring? I mean, he would, if, if he was Series. on the team, then yeah, he, he deserved it. Well, I, no, he certainly didn't. Oh my God, we can do this. He played. Yes, no, he was already gone. He left in nineteen. He was a Blue Jay in twenty twenty, so he doesn't Man. have any ring. Yeah, he needs one. Not even a Mickey Mouse ring. Yunjin Ryu goes back to Korea. So the list continues to dwindle by the day. They're still the top guys on the market. They're still there. But that secondary group, that that group of flyers that maybe you take and you see if you might hit on it at a lower cost, continues to get smaller. 
Michael Lorenzen is still out there, correct? Um, I get it. I Griffin, I understand. But it's it's a small list. That's the reality. It's basically either you're spending the big money for the, the real guy at the top or nothing. I mean, the, the relief arms, uh, Ryan Stanek, Brad Hand, those guys are still available. I, I, Neither one of them I is did, inspiring. Right. Like, but you look I'm, at their numbers and you're just like, yeah, I get it. Now I remember why it is that you're still out there. I feel like I kind of... Yeah, I, I'm writing a, a piece A little more today. than Lorenzen, I feel like. I'm writing a piece today at Pressbox that says, I'm totally fine with the Orioles not pursuing another starting pitcher. I mean, like, I'm not opposed to it. This is not a... They shouldn't go... We went through... We did, we did this exercise last week. The, well, what if they end up having too many? <laughs> that it's never been a problem. Disaster. You're just making things up in your mind. What if Kyle Bradish isn't out for the season and John Means is back and now you've got Jordan Montgomery too? We throw a party. I mean, what? Seven-man rotation? My God. Imagine that. But this is who we are. Like, we say those things like, well, you just can't have that many pitchers. Yes. Yes, you can. Because, as we all know, unfortunately... Someone will else will probably get hurt at some point during the course of the season. Someone can pitch out of the bullpen. You can go to a six-man rotation at one point. If there's a million options that you have, have the Dodgers seemed to have a problem with the fact that they had seven or eight starting pitchers the last couple of years? Um, no, because they only just won the most regular season games of. Man, I understand they haven't, they haven't won a real World Series. I do get that. Like, well, I didn't mean that as a knock. I mean, but yeah, they haven't gotten. Yeah, they've they've been okay. They have uh, they have managed to figure out a way to make it all work. Forty uh, four year old Rich Hill is still available. Uh, him, you're, I wouldn't. You're still interested in. Rich I mean, Hill. you know, I don't know how I feel about that, man. I don't know how I feel about that. Actually, there's more. Like that's the weird part. There's actually way more starting pitchers available than there are relievers that are available but i would would love to you know grayson on monday and then on tuesday right. rich hill come on yeah that would be a pretty fun exercise and <laughs> like or, or maybe you piggyback <laughs> right just to throw everybody off like grayson rich hills six here. innings and, and then, then rich hill the rest of the game yeah. just to throw everybody off you know you might be on to something over there bass you might be on to something so, yeah, not going to be Hyunjin Ryu. Scratch him off the list uh, as the Orioles continue to get ready for their first spring training game this Saturday. The other news yesterday came from the Ravens' side of the equation where I had to admit going into the day I was not aware of the deadline, quote-unquote, that existed for players to – for free agents to sign and not count money against dead cap the following year. It's it's a weird, I don't know when this started, but there are certain free agents that as their contracts are created, there is dead cap that moves into the following year. So the idea would be, oh, if they're going to count dead cap against you anyway, you'd kind of rather have them be under a contract and playing for you. Like, why have them count against their your cap if you're not going to have them on the team? The group of Gus Edwards, Rakusin, Geno Stone, and Kevin Zeitler, because the Ravens did not agree to deals with any of them by yesterday's deadline, 
as a group, are scheduled to count $8.3 million against the cap next year. Which isn't to say that any one of them counts at such an extraordinary number that you say, wow, how did you screw this up? But the totality of those four players equals $8.3 million is real money against the cap. It doesn't mean that you can't still sign one of those guys, but you can't do anything about the dead money. The dead money is there no matter what. So no matter how you write their contract, no matter what you do in structuring their deal, you're going to be on the hook for $8.3 million in dead money. Remember, the Ravens previously restructured the contract of Odell Beckham in order to fix this and create a void year. Um, also did extensions with Michael Pierce and then got a new deal done with Nelson Aguilar in order to prevent this, which for the conspiracy theorists that thought the Nelson Aguilar signing might have been about other, you know, what's going on with other guys, in this context, it makes more sense that they prioritized it so that Nelson Aguilar wouldn't cost them anything in dead money against the cap next year. So it might have nothing to do with their interest in bringing back Odell Beckham or what they think about Zay Flowers as much as if this guy's going to count dead money against the cap for us next year, we kind of rather have his services. Does it's not it's not groundbreaking in any particular way. Like we're going to look at our salary cap, see this guy's name, he could either play for us or not. Well, I don't know. What do you think, chief? Might as well. Maybe you might as well go ahead and have the guy play for you. Just a thought. Crazy idea, but maybe you go ahead and let him play for your team. In that case, the the dead money is a little bit easier to swallow. So we'll see. Again, uh, you know, you'll have those the option to bring those other guys back still, but there is a belief that if you were going to bring those guys back, you would have brought them back to avoid this dead money by yesterday. We'll see. Things can change. Somebody can think. Part of the conversation might be what these players, and when I say these players, their representatives, think the market is for them. Gina then, Stone. Yeah, like he maybe. But yeah. I, I, think, I think they'd be right about that. I would say more like Kevin Zeitler. His rep, eh, Kevin Zeitler's still too good of a player. All right, they're all gone. Never. They're all gone. They're all gone. I mean, I don't know. I, Gus, it, yeah. I like, know. I, I, I'd say for all of them. Any of them could think that their market is one thing, go out and find that that market isn't there, and then come back. I have worked under the assumption all along that Geno Stone would be gone. The argument, and, um, you know, our, our friend uh, Jeff Zrebeck from The Athletic said on Twitter last night, with it now looking unlikely, Zeitler will be back. And I think a lot of people were like, unlikely? Really? Like, really? Is that where we're at at this point? And one of the points I saw him make is, like, Kevin Zeitler's wanted to sign. The Ravens have had ample opportunity to do it. It hasn't happened. Perhaps you read through the tea leaves that they're just deciding they have to get younger up front. And, you know, I don't know how, say, Andrew Voorhees factors into this equation. Someone who, had he not been hurt, was definitely going to go much earlier in the NFL draft. It's hard to fathom, like, having confidence in someone who hasn't played in the NFL yet as being an immediate starter. Like, that's a tough thing to say. Well, if that's, if in saving money, 
you're saying we made the decision to do this with Andrew Voorhees, so we are committed to him being a starter next year. That's that's tough, particularly because Kevin Zeitler, outside of like one game, played really well all season long. But I, I also get that they have to budget somehow. The weird part of what was going around yesterday was the story about the Ravens' perhaps interest in running back because I certainly was operating under the idea that running back might just be a position where the Ravens say, we ain't spending any money at all. Devontae Freeman's coming back. That's that's the big one. Um, I, I was 1,000% operating as though running back is just going to be a position where they're going to spend small. Like, they could even bring back J.K. Dobbins because there's not likely to be a robust market for J.K. Dobbins. And then if you have J.K. Dobbins and Keaton Mitchell and Justice Hill, it still seems like you need a true between-the-tackles running back in that group. But, like, I thought Gus Edwards would be the top of what they would be willing to spend at running back. In a story at ESPN.com, there's some thought that perhaps the Ravens could be in the market for a real running back. Jeremy Fowler says the Ravens will target a running back with, quote, pedigree, unquote, in free agency. Which, uh, okay, that's that's a little bit surprising. I'll read the sentence for you. Baltimore typically lets free agents test the market. Uh, he was talking about Justin Matabike, but he could be gone fast, absent the franchise tag or a long-term deal. By the way, today is the first day of the franchise tag window. I wouldn't expect the Ravens to slap the tag on today. They would use m- more of the window to try to figure out where they're at with that and then go from there. But who knows? Um, some personnel inside the league believe the Ravens will target a running back with pedigree in free agency. Baltimore has a few tough salary cap decisions, but should be able to keep most of its veteran base intact. Very interesting. I can't be all that surprised because as much as we said going into last year, hey, it's not going to be a Greg Roman offense, it was still clear the Ravens want to run the ball. That's who they are. That's what they want to do. They believe in January AFC North football. They believe in that. They're never going to rip that apart and say, we're going to be a team that throws the ball 50 times, except for when it matters most. Literally every time it matters most. It's the weirdest. It's, 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 well, and then, it's so difficult because that is their philosophy, and yet some, the, the, the moment I say it, somebody would turn around and say, yeah, they're not? Huh. That's weird. <laughs> Prove it. And I would say, yeah, I get it. I get it. I totally understand. Um, I, I'm, I don't know what to make of this because the way it's written, it also says, like, it, it reads as though he might have just talked to a general manager of another team and that guy would have said, you know, I, really, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Henry ends up in Baltimore. And then RG3. Right, yeah, he was open was, campaigning yes. on Twitter. But RG3 is just, just doing that. He's, he doesn't know something. But it could be. That other person is just guessing, but usually not the case. Usually these teams have a feel for what other people might be doing. This doesn't guarantee that the Ravens will be in a market for a running back, although as I've told you a few times, I know one 
significant name running back who would love to be in Baltimore next season. Christian McCaffrey? No, not Christian McCaffrey. It's it's very weird. Josh Jacobs would absolutely love, love to end up in Baltimore. Of course, most of these guys would love to end up anywhere somebody's willing to pay them, but I specifically happen to know and have heard repetitively is it like past he would, the trade deadline into the offseason how much Josh Jacobs wants to be a Baltimore Raven? So like the extent where he'd take I don't, a bit of a discount? I, I don't know that because okay. no one around him would openly say that. Right. Because then you, you, you put yourself behind the eight ball in negotiating. Like you can't you can't just say that. So it would be inappropriate for me to say yes. Because I haven't been directly told. All I know is how badly Josh Jacobs would like to be a Baltimore Raven. Josh Jacobs would badly like to be a Baltimore Raven. And I've asked, like, is it just how he wants, bad? Yeah. He wants to be on a winner. Like, it's very specific to he wants to be a Baltimore Raven. And there's myriad reasons for it. And some internet sleuths have, have found some of that. And they've seen pictures of Josh Jacobs at Orioles games. He spent a lot of time in this community. His representation is from this area, like, I, but there's it, there's still not a direct, like, it doesn't... I didn't think about that. The Orioles being a, you know, yeah, right? now that they're like, good NFL players. Yeah, everybody wants to be here, too. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. He went to the Orioles games when they were bad. <laughs> oh, he did? Yeah, 100%. Sounds like a weirdo. Uh, yeah. He loves it here. He just loves it here, Josh Jacobs. So, I don't know what to make of that. It would be surprising to me that the Ravens' budget would budget more for a running back, as Jeremy Fowler said, quote, with pedigree, unquote. I guess we should reach out to Jeremy Fowler, by the way. We should do that for this week. Um, That would be weird, and it's not at all what I would have expected from the Orioles going into the offseason, but said the Orioles. It's, of course, the Ravens that we're talking about. It's not what I expected from the Ravens this offseason. But I, I would have to see the makeup of the team, who this ends up like. If it's the Derrick Henry conversation, what's the cost? What is it? What does it cost you? Who is not here because you wanted to have money to budget to to acquire a running back? Like I didn't need to know all of those things. My gut tells me running back is somewhere that you would have gone about trying to save money. That's my gut. That's what I thought the math would do is you just say look the same way that you look at inside linebacker and say we just simply can't spend we already spent a lot of money on one guy we can't spend more that you look at running back and say it's just not going to be a position in the Lamar Jackson contract era we're going to be spending money now I don't know what the markets are going to be for these players either that's the fascinating part about this offseason I have no idea how much a running back quote with pedigree unquote is going to cost you I don't know who your competition is for those guys. That's the wild part about this. How how far are these running back prices crashing? Is it to the point where the difference between Gus Edwards and Derrick Henry is just not that much? Like you're talking about the difference in a couple million dollars a year or something like that? It'd be fascinating to find that out, but I was a little surprised by that quote-unquote report i mean it was more like a nugget that was uh, in this story from jeremy fowler at espn 
So that was the that's what's going on. That's the uh, the news of the day, if you will. Nothing uh, earth shattering, but noteworthy, I guess, is the way that we should describe it. Today's show is brought to you by Goose Flights. We love Goose Flights, of course, uh, lifting up uh, the legacy of Tony Saragusa. His family took his vision to provide non-emergency medical transport for those in need, launched the Goose Flights Foundation. You can find Goose Flights all over town. All of the locations where Goose Flights can be found are at pressboxonline.com slash gooseflights. 198 from every can of Goose Flights lager sold goes to the Goose Flights Foundation and the work that they are doing. All right, joining us now, I've been wanting to catch up with our next guest. Always uh, enjoy this time of year when we get into his prospect rankings, his system rankings. Of course, a longtime prospect writer now with The Athletic. He is our friend, Mr. Keith Law, and he's back with us here on GCR. Keith, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's always great to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking the time for us this morning. Sure, thanks for having me. Keith, I, I, you know, I've been thinking about it this way. We all know that the Orioles have had the top system and the top prospects the last couple of years. Where are we on like the pendulum as far as like once Jackson Holiday graduates, which we're assuming is going to be very quickly, how good is the Orioles farm system then? It's still pretty good. It's still really deep. I mean, I actually argued as much as they've been hyped the last few years, I think the Orioles farm system had been kind of overrated for a little while. And now it's actually caught up to those rankings. Like, I actually think this is the best shape that the farm system has been in because there's quite a bit more depth. There's actually a little more pitching coming. They're starting to see uh, production from international scouting, which obviously is something that they had kind of eschewed for a long time, going back to previous regimes. You know, that's where you get Sammy Basayo from, who's now the second best prospect in the whole system. So I actually think they're in far better shape than they have been. Um, They're better shape than they've been in the last few years. It's not to say they were in bad shape, but I thought the praise for the system was ahead of where the system actually was. Now it actually is the best. Even when they lose Holiday, they might still be number one. They might be number two, but they're still going to be in excellent shape going forward. So I want to come back to the top of the list, but because you brought up two areas in there, I'd like to go there first. One being you brought up there's some pitching. And with the Orioles suffering a couple of uh, significant injuries, or at least the news of those injuries becoming public last week, are, are any of these guys, and I know that you have Cade Povich and Chase McDermott in your top 10 Orioles prospects, but are any of these guys definitively to you guys that will definitely be quality major league starters, or do we still not know that? And is there anyone that you think is close enough that could be a factor if, like, say, Kyle Bradish's injury does prove to be Tommy John and he's going to be done for the year? Is there any one of this group that you think could be a factor for the Orioles before the year is over? Well, I think the guys you mentioned are going to be up. They're going to, they will pitch in the big leagues this year. Now, you're asking me, do I think they'll be a factor? Like, that's probably a different question. Yeah. Like, how good will they be? Will any of these guys be above average major league starters? My instinct is probably not this year. Maybe they could eventually get there, but that seems like probably asking a lot of them right now. Now, the flip side is what the, the Orioles do have and a real surplus in position players who are major league ready or very close to it. They don't have enough at-bats for all of these guys yep. and they won't going forward. So they could package a few of them together, try to go get another starter, which obviously they've done once. And I thought that was a great trade. 
they may need to do it again if Bradish if it turns out he's going to be out for an extended period of time. And, and you mentioned the international signings, which we know has been a dramatic change, a, a sea change for the Orioles in recent years. Where is that fruit? Like, obviously, Basayo is the guy that, but like beyond that, like, where is the fruit? Who's someone that's starting to be on the radar that's that's showing the impact of what they've done in the international market? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's just for fans who aren't uh, as familiar with that market too. It takes far longer typically for those guys to show up on prospect lists for them to get to full season ball. So it is not, uh, it's not surprising that it's taken this long for them to see some progress from there. But I would mention Leandro Arias, who got a $600,000 bonus in January of 22. He's got great contact skills. He's played shortstop as well as the other infield positions. I think he's at least got a chance to stay at shortstop and nothing's obviously nothing's guaranteed, but I think he's got the potential to stay there. Braylon Tavera signs that same January. He got 1.7 million. Center field, high contact, hasn't hit for a lot of power yet, but people still think there is going to be some power there as he fills out. I also pointed out in my uh, write-up on him this year, they may have to do a little bit with his swing just to help him get the ball up in the air a little bit more frequently, but the Orioles have had pretty good history with doing that with a lot of guys. So those are probably, I think, the top two after Basayo there's going to be more. And I think they're, you know, if you, I don't spend as much time on DSL prospects because one, cause I don't sure. doubt them personally. And two, because the stats we get out of the Dominican summer league are kind of useless. Um, okay. It's good if a guy hits well or if he plays well, but I don't like to read too much into it. So there may be more guys on this list from their international scouting department in a year as more of those guys come over and play in the United States. Keith Law is with us, and we'll get his uh, Orioles prospect rankings up uh, at. You can we'll, we'll link his prospect rankings on our Twitter account at Glenn Clark Radio. Um, obviously, at the top of the list is is Jackson Holiday, and we're expecting Jackson Holiday to be here very quickly in Baltimore. Keith, expectations for how good Jackson Holiday can be, and how quickly he can be that good. I think he is in that category of prospects. It's funny, somebody, one of my coworkers asked essentially how long till he gets to his peak, and he was asking fantasy questions. Right. And I said, players like Holiday tend to get there pretty quickly, get to their peaks pretty quickly. Obviously, he's getting to the majors, got the AAA, or got to the high minors very, very quickly. And players like him tend to reach their peaks fairly quickly and to be very, very productive in the majors very quickly. Mike Trout in his technically still his rookie year in his second season in the majors was like that. Ronald Acuna hit like that pretty much right out of the gate. Bryce Harper was one of those. I think holiday, if they gave holiday 500 at bats this year, and they may not because obviously they have plenty of guys on the left side of the infield and they may decide to slow things down for various reasons. If they did, he would be the rookie of the year contender. I think he would be very productive right away. And I would guess within a year or two, he, we would be talking about him as one of the 10, 15 best players in the American league. Like I think he's that advanced. And, you know, the thing for, for Orioles fans, I think I'm sure a lot of them have seen him somewhere, but he has barely begun to fill out too. He is going to get quite a bit That's... stronger. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think that's the fascinating part for me because I would say like it, is, is, are we there yet where the power can be there, or is that still something that's going to have to come in the next few years? Yeah, it's been amazing to me how much power he has shown. And, again, I'm all in. 
you know, anything I say here is more about it's, it's timing, right? Yeah. I thought Holiday would take a little longer than this. And yet, even though he's got this baby face and looks like he's barely been shaving, he already has shown more power than I would have expected. And he's going to clearly going to come into more. And I said, I think he's really good at shortstop. I've seen him quite a bit. He was better at short than when I saw him at third. But I will say at third, he, had, he doesn't have a lot of experience over there. So I don't want to read too much into that. But it's also possible Holiday just ends up so big, they choose to move him off shortstop because, you know, he, he could end up outgrowing the position. But when I've seen him play shortstop, he's been very good, very good. And his approach at the plate is excellent. He makes really good swing decisions. I love the shape of his swing. The ball comes off extremely well, even though, like I said, he's probably got 15 more pounds of muscle to add, which is why I think if they did, you know, they're in the luxury position where they don't have to, but if they did stick him in the majors right now and said, that's it, you're the everyday shortstop for the rest of the season, I think there'd be a strong on-base percentage. He might get to 18 homers, um, and he'd play really good defense. And then there's more to come after that, but I think you could drop in the majors; he'd be productive right away. Is, is he? Is he so? Is he a better shortstop than Gunnar Henderson? As this is the argument. I I have I think Henderson's a good shortstop. Yeah. Um, I think he's going to be elite if he gets to play third, third base, base every day. Although yeah. he didn't he didn't really show that last year. To be fair, he was average at shortstop. He was average at third base, and I I think if he gets to play third every day, you'll start to see more of that elite defense come through. Long term, I'm taking Holiday as a shortstop, recognizing that what I said, he could outgrow shortstop, and Gunner is not likely to do. Gunner probably, I think this is kind of, kind of is what he is physically, and that may mean that he's uh, more likely to. Uh, there's less chance of him outgrowing shortstop. However, I think Holiday's hands and instincts are so good that as long as the body just doesn't outgrow the position, I think he's going to end up the better defensive shortstop, and I would. I would like the alignment of Gunner at third, Holiday at short. And then, you know what, if they keep Westberg around, he's what you know, he probably ends up traded somewhere because he's too good to be a backup. But he's a really good backup to have right now. So, Keith, the, there's a thought with Samuel Basayo that he might be a future number one overall prospect in baseball. Is mm-hmm. that too aggressive or is that plausible given how good he is at such a young age? He is... Uh, let me say it this way. He, that's the type, right? He plays in the middle of the field and is going to stay there. All signs right now where he's very good defensively and he has a bat that would profile at any position. If you look at the history of my number one prospect, that's pretty much, they're pretty much all like that. They just about all play in the middle of the field. I mean, I can think of maybe one or two exceptions. Chris Bryant was number one as a third baseman, um, which is still kind of a skill position. Sure, But it's almost always for me, catchers, shortstops, center fielders and that's not like a, a bias per se it's that that's where the value is right that's if you look at how things like war are calculated there's value simply in playing one of those more difficult positions and then if you play it well there's even more value there and then if you hit like a first baseman but you play one of the positions up the middle you're going to be one of the most valuable players in all of baseball and that's where we're heading with Basaya. and i was just really blown away by how good his at-bats were when i finally did get to see him at the end of the year and obviously i hope he's I know he's got a little injury right now. Yeah. Hopefully that doesn't keep him out too long. Uh, that was just a bad day. <laughs> really fans. bad day. Really bad. Way too much. <laughs> it's, right? supposed to be doing, it's, kind of... it's supposed to be best shape of your life season. It's supposed yeah. to be let's watch arm circles and stretching. What are we doing? Right. No, it was like they got some kind of discount on bad news. And they just decided, <laughs> well, it's like a, you know, 
buy three, get the fourth one free. Yeah. So I, I will say this though. I, I don't know if Masayo is going to be number one a year. You know, a lot of, you know, Ethan Salas is also a catcher who was 17 and got to double A and he's also incredibly advanced. I mean, it'd be an interesting battle between those two. So I, I feel more comfortable saying Basayo is on that path. He is very much the type of player who ends up number one on my list or at worst ends up. It doesn't really matter. I got our Henderson two and Corbin Carroll number one. You know, was, they're both great players. So if Basayo ends up two or three, I would take away from it. Yeah, this guy's got a chance to be a real star. And when I sent my list around to execs and others out, I got a lot of notes back where I had Basayo basically where you saw him and, and people saying, yeah, that's right. Like okay. saying, you're good job having him as high as you do. So I, I pose it this way, and I'm going to lump a lot of things together here. There was a report uh-huh. last week from the Miami Herald that the Orioles had engaged in conversations with the Marlins about Jesus Lazardo, but balked mm-hmm. because the ask began with Samuel Basayo. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I, my response was, I'm not telling you I'd make that trade, but I don't know how, if at this point I would still treat a prospect as untouchable given where yeah. the Orioles are in this process. I mean, they did go out and get Corbin Burns. He's only going to be here for one year. It seems like, you know, you need mm-hmm. to kind of ramp it up at the moment. But then I combine that with, I, I'm not, is Basayo more valuable to the Orioles specifically because he's a left-hander? And should they be more inclined to say, hey, if we're going to trade a big-time prospect, we look to move Mayo because left-handers are just that much more valuable right now in this system given the configuration of Camden Yards? Um, I wouldn't go there. Okay. I wouldn't care as much about the handedness. I will say with Luzardo, he's had quite an injury history, and I find him, you know, he's when he's good, he's very good. I, I find him a little too inconsistent and would have some questions about him in a different environment in the AL East, which is obviously very difficult. Fair. Yep. Uh, I don't know that I would do Basayo if the asks was – I mean, it's the two guys I would say no to trading, right? Obviously, Holiday's not going anywhere in Basayo. I think pretty much anyone else has to be available. And, I mean, they've got that glut of outfielders now. Kirstad, yep. Mayo. You know, I've never been a huge Colton Towser fan. I know there are a few teams that do still really value him. I think I'm a little more in line with the consensus in the industry with the struggles he had in the majors last year. People are seeing some of the holes in the approach. However... There are a lot of teams that would say we're, we're good with where he is and we can develop him. We'll stick him in the big leagues. So I think he's got trade value. So that's where I would try to start is say, look, we'll give you four guys in the system and right. we'll give you one of those elite outfield prospects. And you know, maybe it's a Connor Norby who I really like, but I don't yeah, there's know where no he path. is. Right. Fitting. Yeah. There's no, path. right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, they're in a good spot if they're willing to do it. And I think that, you know, a lot of fans were getting frustrated where they hugging their prospects a little too closely. The Burns trades showed they weren't because Ortiz was yeah. there, born and raised, yeah. right? And they did a great job with him and he just was blocked. I was glad to see they were willing to do that. They, they might need to do it again. It's interesting, though. You the, the, you don't make anything of the, the, the left-handers are, are that much more valuable because Kerstad's in that equation too, right? Like that... Do you, I, I, I don't know. I, I hate saying it that way, but it just sort of seems like maybe you have to think about it because it's going to be that much harder for right-handed hitters to hit 35 home runs in Baltimore moving forward. Well, they'll hit a lot more doubles, right? That's true. Like the, 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 That's true. They're still going to be valuable, and I don't want to skew. I don't never like the idea of skewing your system. 
and this is true for pitchers this is well as well as it is for hitters too skewing your system too far one way oh we got to get lefties right i have heard that i lived to that a little bit in toronto we got a little bit locked into that not because of the ballpark just the idea that they were somehow more valuable and it was you know i don't i think you just go get the best players you can you just don't want to end up with a lineup that's all right-handed or all left-handed or you know just for platoon reasons but there were, i don't think the orioles are headed that direction they have plenty of left-handed that's coming. They have some of the majors. They have some coming. I'm reasonably comfortable that they'll have that balance. And if that means trading a Kowser, for example, or or trading a Kirstad, I don't think they're going to trade. Kier. I think if they traded one, it would actually be Kowser. But I, I don't think you hold on to those guys for their left. To your overvalue them, I should say, for their left-handedness. All right. Uh, before I let you go, Keith Law, Enrique Bradfield. What what? What is Enrique? Like, if if everything works for the Orioles, what is Enrique Bradfield capable of being? He's left-handed, by the way. He is. Um, that's true. He right is. There, right? I loved, loved the pick. Um, he's a super fun player to watch. When I saw him as a freshman, I thought he was going to end up a top five pick in the draft. It's, it, it is 80 speed. It might be 80 defense. I think I put a 70 on it because it's pretty aggressive. Even that's pretty aggressive. But you got a real high floor there. This guy can fly, and he is absolutely a major league defender and center right now. Um the bat went backwards from freshman year, so freshman year, sophomore year, junior yeah. year. And he started trying to hit for power. I don't know who did it. His swing is a disaster. And it just needs an overhaul. But I have also argued, I don't. I think his eye is good. And I think if you restored him even to where he was as a freshman, and the Orioles know this. I have talked to them, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we got we have swing work to do. Um, that's not a secret. Everybody knew that. And they're the right organization to do it. They have done that with a lot of hitters before. I think ultimately, to your question, what he really needs to be, go back to trying to be a higher contact, on-base guy, who might run into 8 to 10 homers. He is skinny. He is never going to have much power. But he's not, it's not zero. He is strong enough to impact the ball, to hit major league pitching, hit for some average. That's all you want, because if he's on base, he's going to disrupt games. It's, he's just incredibly fun to watch. And somehow his swing got this multi-part, extra movement, lunging. I, I mean, it's all these things we just never, ever teach a hitter to do, and somehow he was doing them to try to drive the ball. And I think he got a few more home runs, but at the cost of the rest of his production. I hope the Orioles can just rewind the tape a little bit on him and say, look at where you were two, three, now three years ago. Let's get you back to that. It was much simpler. Put the ball in play and let your speed work. Keith Law, what all can I plug for you, sir? Uh, the last of the prospect rankings went up today. So I have my, my top 100 r- ranking went up two weeks ago. Farm system rankings later that week. The Orioles are number one. I now have top 20 prospect rankings and org reports up for all 30 teams. The NL West went up today. If you're a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of this. And there'll be a, a little bit more to come. Plus, it's, it's draft season. I actually was out last weekend seeing some draft guys. So pretty soon we'll have a draft ranking up, too. Looking forward to all of that as well. Of course, not... Not nearly as uh, as early a pick for the Orioles, but they still have a <laughs> lot of picks uh, coming, yep. which is the nice part here. At Keith Law, as always. Keith, really appreciate you, man. Thanks for spending the time with us this morning. Yep, my pleasure. Keith Law with us from The Athletic here on GCR. Appreciate him taking the time. and He certainly seems to stand up with what the Orioles' decision was. Nope, we're not doing it with Basayo. Not happening. Get it? Although he doesn't. You know, I said yesterday, like, to me, part of that thought process would be he's a lefty and we just value lefties that much. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah not, not that. That's, that's not the reason why.
I, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't want to present panic. Because again, I'm writing a column today I'm telling you, I'm not panicked about what the, the argument that can be made about the way the rotation could look this season. Last year's rotation. Here, I want to pull up how I worded this today. Uh, last year's rotation was primarily, right, Bradish, Gibson, Kramer. Those are the guys that were there all year long, start to finish. Like, they were the primary three starters last season. And then, after that group, you had the combination of Wells, Flaherty, Irvin, Grayson, Means. And Grayson was probably more at the top of that. Grayson and Wells were the, the next two guys. Irvin, Flaherty, and a little bit of John Means. So that's your group, right? Bradish, Gibson, Kramer on the left. Grayson, Wells, Irvin, Flaherty, Means on the right. So if this year you look at it, and the primary looks like Burns, Grayson, Kramer, within the combination of Wells, Irvin, hopefully John Means. We throw in maybe Bradish, right? Like maybe. And then whatever you might do at the deadline, the way that they did it with Flaherty a year ago, you can't look at that if I draw it out that way and put it on a piece of paper and say, well, geez, this one is so much better than that one. The truth is, on paper, you look at it and say, eh, there's actually a chance that even what you have is slightly better than what you had. Now, part of that involves Grayson Rodriguez having to take the step forward. That, But it, this isn't... Grayson Rodriguez doesn't even have to become an ace for this year's group to be better on paper than last year's group. He just needs to be better than he was when he was first up last season. If that's the case, then he's an upgrade over Cal Gibson... Production-wise, you could still say Gibson's innings mattered, but production-wise, he'd be better than Kyle Gibson. Corbin Burns has the ability to be as good as Kyle Bradish was, as good as Kyle Bradish was. And Dean Kramer is the same guy in both equations. So I can't pretend like we should be panicked about the scenario. But as I keep saying, I am a bit more panicked about the bullpen. I can't shake it. I just can't get over the concern. You know, I, I know I've told you that they won 31 run games last year. I went back and did the math. Close games. One or two run games or games that went to extra innings. So at the end of nine innings, the, the final was within two. It was either zero, one, or two at the end of nine innings. How many wins did they have a year ago? Um, well, since in one runs, I'll say, I guess you want to say 60? Just no, double it's 49. 49 oh, is the number. I was going to go 45. Yeah, which is kind of crazy about how many of those were one-run games yeah. specifically, but, I mean, come on. 49 wins in one-run game, or in close games last year. 49. Got to fix the bullpen. Got to gotta come up with an answer. And whether that's adding a starter to allow you the flexibility to get Tyler Wells back into the bullpen or whether it's adding another bullpen arm still or whether, again, it's something internal. It's Wandison Charles or whatever it is that they have super faith in. Got to be better. 
All right, when we come back in, uh, County Sports Zone Radio with Wes Brown. That's next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Hmm. Hmm. Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code GLENNCLARK23, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K-2-3. So bet with the best. And use the promo code GlennClark23 this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's so much focus on sports betting these days, but I want to talk about an area that nobody wants to gamble on. Where you choose to go out and spend your hard-earned dollars to eat. The Casas Inn is no gamble at all. The quality on their menu is outstanding, and the value is off the charts with a great and varied list of specials Monday through Friday. And the staples of the menu, whether it's salads, burgers, fish, they're all fantastic. Fantastic. And I haven't even mentioned the crabs or crab cakes yet. So check out the menu for yourself at CostasIn.com. When choosing a place to dine, never gamble on the food you put in your belly. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard or call 410-477-1975 for reservations and your steam crab orders. What company has the expertise to make your home healthier by purifying your air and killing all viruses, allergens, and bacteria? A.J. Michaels. Heating and air conditioning in Baltimore and Annapolis, AJMichaels.com. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Discover your next favorite beer crafted in the heart of Charm City. At Guilford Hall Brewery, we believe beer should be flavorful and easy to enjoy. Our meticulously crafted lagers and ales are derived from centuries-old European brewing traditions, a staple for both the seasoned beer aficionado or a novice hophead. Experience beer styles that dare to showcase the exceptionality of simplicity. Visit our restaurant and brewery at 1611 Guilford Avenue or view our menu and tap map online at guilfordhall.com. Guilford Hall Brewery, European tradition, Baltimore charm. The latest edition of PressBox is available now, and it's our very special annual best of issue. On the cover, we celebrate Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and the Orioles as our Team of the Year. With Stan the Fan Charles and Glenn Clark sitting down with Hyde to discuss his role in creating the culture that defined the Orioles' magic season. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of 2023. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Terps, and O's at PressBoxOnline.com. Contrary to what some people believe, I actually like this guy when he sleeps. Glenn Clark, talking sports. All right, back in here on GCR, and it's time for County Sports Zone Radio. And a reminder, the CountySportsZone.com is your headquarters for local high school scores, schedules, and standings across all sports. CountySportsZone.com is proudly sponsored by Toyota joining us now as he does every Tuesday to let us know what's going on in the world of local high school sports. He is our friend Wes Brown, and he's back with us here on GCR. Wes, it's Glenn. It's good to talk to you as always. What's going on, man? Everything good? Yeah, yeah. Everything good over here. Obviously, it's a a big time of the year as we are into the postseason in high school hoops, including the IAAM championships over the weekend. What went down Sunday at Stevenson University? 
Yeah, so uh, the the sort of big 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 game of the weekend was McDonough versus St. Francis there for the A conference title, uh, which McDonough managed to to pull out fifty four fifty three. Uh, it was their the, the Eagles' third title there, uh, led by seniors uh, Ava McKinney and Kennedy Uma from uh, going to Maryland and Stanford respectively. Uh, but it was sophomore Autumn Fleury with uh, twenty seven points that really helped. You know. Get, get that get that victory. I'm just trying to confirm this. I believe Ava McKinney is the younger sister of former Maryland offensive lineman Ellis McKinney, correct? Yeah. I'm just trying to make sure that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, well, that's uh, obviously that turned out to be a thriller, an outstanding game in the A Conference title game, but not the only championship that was handed out on Sunday. Who won the others? Uh, so Gerstel Academy managed to win their first league title, uh, six year in the IAAM, uh, defeating John Carroll by three. And then Indian Creek uh, repeated as C Conference champions uh, with a, a pretty dominant victory over Glendale Country. And I saw that our uh, Player of the Week comes to us from uh, girls basketball this week as well. Yeah, out in uh, Hatter de Grace, uh, Azurea Whiting, uh, probably the best all-around performance we had you know, last week. 17 points, 10 rebounds, 5 steals, 3 assists, and a win over Hartford Tech on Friday. Uh, 4-point win there. Um, Hatter de Grace is kind of you know middle of the pack there in, in Hartford County and probably going to you know have a, a bit of a tougher ride in the playoffs, but it's always good to get that you know last win and kind of move into the playoffs on a positive note. All right, he's Wes Brown. It's County Sports Own Radio. So if the IAM championships were last week, that must mean that the MIAA championships are coming up this week. Yep, so we got quarterfinals today, semifinals on Thursday, and then the championships will be on Saturday. And they're at uh, UMBC this year, correct? <laughs> so that's obviously a big week. And, of course, the the two divisions made it a little bit more complicated for me. But the uh, the top seeds, correct, are Mount St. Joe and Mount Carmel, right? Yep. Yep. So those are the teams that are on uh, on top. I actually have, thanks to County Sports Zone, I have all of the info right here at my fingertips, and I can be prepared going in the MIAA tournament for matchups like uh, ooh, a good one between Archbishop Spalding and Calvert Hall. That's a very, very good one. So uh, that's coming up this week. What else is on the horizon for this week? Yeah, so a lot of counties have kind of wrapped up play or are wrapping them up this week. Uh, we've got, you know, big Montgomery County slate tomorrow night to wrap things up there um, and some some one-off games here to, you know, rescheduling and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the playoffs come around on Friday. We've got uh, all the brackets we posted uh, Friday during the day on County Sports Zone. Uh, we'll have, you know, boys, girls, one through 4A. Um, we'll have all those brackets up and, and a ton of stuff heading into the, the playoffs, which start next week. And so obviously a huge, huge week. Um, I saw Brandon Johnson from Calvert Hall was named Catholic League Player of the Year, right? Yep. Yep. So, uh, average over 26 points per game this season. Remarkable year for Brandon Johnson. A reminder everybody about Pick'em and where everybody can find more information and social media for you and for County Sports Zone as well, Wes. Yeah, so County Sports Zone is your home for everything high school sports in the state of Maryland. Uh, scores, schedules, uh, we even have, you know, like Glenn's had a, a pick'em game. Uh, we've got one up for the Montgomery County Slate on Wednesday. You just go ahead, sign up, pick who you think is going to win each game, and, and at the end, which team you think is going to score the most points um, and, and battle against other CSC users. Um, everything at CSC scores on social and I'm at W underscore Brown. And I, did I see that like we're into wrestling championship week as well? Did I see that this week too? 
Yeah, so they, they seeded for the, the individuals, uh, so they're, they're going to be going through those, and, and they should have championships in a couple weeks here. Excellent, excellent. All right, uh, find all of that right now, County Sports Zone, uh, proudly sponsored by Toyota. Wes Brown, appreciate you, man. Let's talk again next Tuesday, all right? It's, all right, sounds good. It's Wes Brown from County Sports Zone with us here on GCR. Yeah, Brandon Johnson, who's going to Merrimack, uh, named the Baltimore Catholic League Player of the Year. 26 points. I saw Drew was tweeting about him yesterday. 20 and Cody Jacobeno, uh 26.1 points, 7.4 rebounds per game this season. For Calvert Hall, the matchups in the MIAA tournament. Um these games all tonight, Mount Carmel and John Carroll, Spalding and Calvert Hall, St. Francis and Glenelg Country, and uh, Mount St. Joe and Blakefield all tonight in the quarterfinals of the a conference tournament with the championship, as uh, Wes mentioned, coming up this weekend, hosted by UNBC. So, big week in high school hoops locally. Winding down for hour number one of the program. There was also, it was a big night last night at Cooper's North. because It was a big night. Griffin, big win. Griffin made his, his debut. You're welcome. You're welcome, I guess. With this my is... trivia team. <laughs> I believe answered zero questions correctly. Um. Well, I, no, we. But he was got, a big. He was a big answered, winner. We answered like thirty plus yeah. questions. Yeah. Right, we didn't we did really well. We did really well last yeah. night. I don't we, know what we thought we were, I, we thought we were going to be very shorthanded last night. We thought we were going to missing uh, two folks from the team. So you had to call in the ringer. So yeah. I, I I said you know Griffin you've been threatening that you were going to come out and join us. <laughs> tonight tonight might be a good night for you to come out and join us. And Griffin said, "All right, I'm in." I said, "Great." Can you help with anything? And he was like, Harry Truman. Yeah, Harry Truman. I said, what? He said, I did a report on Harry Truman. That's I right. Help with That's Harry right, Truman. I did. Fortunately, we didn't get any Harry Truman questions last night. It was unfortunate. Well, I knew that his birthday wasn't in February, so I wasn't going to let you guys guess that. I actually got three for four. I don't remember yeah, who the was, fourth one was. It was, it was, of course, Washington. It was Harrison. Lincoln. Harrison was the fourth I think one? So. William Henry Harrison, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Ronald Reagan, the other one, the other president who was born in February. <laughs> And uh, I said, okay, that'll be great. I was like, can you help us out with African geography? We're really bad at that. He was like, I want a geography bee once. And the last answer was, it was, yeah, it was Kenya. Back. It was Kenya. Now, you were, you didn't give us the answer, but you were confident about Egypt being the answer yeah. to one question. Yeah. So you did add a little bit in That's that right. department. And you would have known, had I not been there, the college basketball That's question. Right. Exactly. But I was there, and I'd already gotten that answer. There was nothing that we leaned on you for during the course of the evening. There was nothing that we wouldn't have gotten that you offered us. Well, I definitely gave you guys you think obviously the, the morale, the morale the boost, boost. Is that and what it was? The confidence that you guys were kind of walking around. I could tell that yeah, it was we a were, little bit of a we, different we night. We were lost. Yeah. I and mean, we had to clinch our playoff spot last yeah. night. We were not the done. The pressure was on. Yeah. So we had to get that. We got a big win. And we're going to keep you around. We're exercising the option. Oh, you are? We're giving the, the club full, option. Well, I think this is more like one of those NBA, like, 10-day contracts. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, we're extending we'll it, it out. 15 days, and we'll see Yeah, right? Happens, we'll just, yeah. We're just monitoring and seeing how we feel about it. But, yeah, big win. The disappointing part, as I said to Griffin last night, is now I can't repeat the questions today on the show because I'd be asking no one. I mean, no there, there, weren't, there, there, were too, there, there weren't two too sports great. questions yeah. last night. One was, name the three horses that won uh, Triple Crown <laughs> in the 1970s. I would have gotten Secretariat. And neither and of the, the others. Other Thankfully, again, yeah. I got all three. <laughs> Which made no sense. Why does that make no sense? That you know that. It's uh, horses that won the Triple Crown is a significant thing. In Griffin. the 70s, though? Like, well, I mean, you... the 70s. 
we happened to know that it was something that occurred in the 70s and then didn't occur again okay. for a very long time. So it's not like I had to separate the ones that won in the 70s from the ones that won in the 90s because nobody won a Triple Crown in the 90s. There was an excruciatingly long drought until uh, American Pharaoh and Justify, um, who won um, in the 2010s. So it wasn't that hard to figure out which ones were the ones in the 70s because they were the last ones that had won. Uh, the other one was uh, what college basketball player just broke the women's scoring, all-time scoring record. And who did she pass? Yes, who did she pass? And so, so we had both Caitlin Clark and Kelsey Plum. But a fun night. Uh, enjoyed having you out, and uh, you're welcome. Hey, you're come. welcome. You're welcome to keep coming. Uh, you know, I don't know if I would... I would say on your half. Uh, we are we not undefeated. Uh, it's a great point. You've when never, I'm in the building, you've never <laughs> lost. You've never lost. You've got that going for you. Yeah. You've never lost. The number of times I looked at you and you were like, ah, was like what once or twice. Blank, mm-hmm. just blank. That, Griffin was trying to do the bit where, and millennials have a thing. Instead of just saying, I have no clue. For some of yeah, them, he was good. he yeah. was throwing out an answer. And I was like, right, you can just say you have no clue. Let's wow. start it with that because it can be deceptive when you throw out an answer. People might think you know what you're talking about. And you definitely did not. You were just throwing something out for the sake of throwing something out. But that's a millennial thing or whatever you are. I don't even know what you qualify as uh, I believe I'm Gen Z. Gen Z. That's yeah. a Gen Z thought process of just like, yeah, fake it till you make it. Like It worked. We, we won. We won. I, don't know, I don't know what not you're, I don't know what you're we mad throwing, about. Yeah, you're random answers that were definitely not correct but i appreciated you being there fine i'll let us lose next time oh yeah <laughs> yeah we might lose on our own um it was a it was a fun night our number one of today's show is in the books if you missed it yesterday stan the fan charles and luke jackson got together with liam bowen baseball coach at umbc to preview the retrievers you can find that right now facebook.com slash pressbox sports youtube.com slash pressbox online or pressboxonline.com slash video Speaking of college sports, we'll get into it next. Patrick Stevens joins us next on GCR. Hungry? With seven locations throughout Maryland, Glory Days Grill is always right around the corner. They have wings, burgers, salads, sandwiches, and drinks to satisfy everyone, as well as tons of televisions and sound delivered right to your phone. Glory Days is the best place to watch football or whatever your favorite sport is. While you're there, be sure to check out Goose Flights Lager, named in honor of legendary Raven Tony Goose Siragusa. $2 of every can is donated to the Goose Flights Foundation. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code GlennClark23, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K-2-3. So bet with the best. And use the promo code GlennClark23 this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Six chicken tenders made from fresh, never-frozen Royal Farms world-famous chicken, a family-sized order of Western fries, honey mustard dipping sauce, and a two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper. It's Royal Farms' new Tucker's Tenders Meal. It's Justin Tucker's favorite, and at only $19.99, it'll be your favorite meal, too. The new Tucker's Tenders Meal, available only at Royal Farms. Now you can kick back, relax, and eat like a champion. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms.
The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Jeremy Kahn here. The ultimate sports betting experience in Maryland is at the Green Turtle Bet Park Sportsbook. Join me at either location in Canton or in Towson and place your bets in person and be a part of the action. It's the best in-class sports wagering experience complete with the ultimate TV package, ensuring you can catch every game all day, every day. Their state-of-the-art facilities bring Las Vegas energy right here to Maryland just in time for postseason football. So visit the Green Turtle Bet Park Sportsbook in Canton and Towson and elevate your game day experience and hang out with me to bet, watch, and win at the Turtle. Coming back in here with Glenn and the other guy, uh, uh, Garrett, whatever his name is. You know who they are. Back in here on GCR as we continue along on a Tuesday edition of the program. Still to come today, Terry Hasseltine, Executive Director of Maryland Sports. We'll check in with us, talk about the next week's CIAA tournament and other events. I, uh, I don't know if they've officially announced the Argentina thing. Going to be a bit of a problem in my life because my kids are definitely going to want to go and I definitely do not. That's just the reality of that. But right now, it's Tuesday, and every Tuesday, we'd like to talk about local college sports. Joining us now, Washington Post, USA Lacrosse Magazine, at Discourse, D1S Course. He's our friend Patrick Stevens, and he's back with us on GCR. Patrick, good morning. Appreciate you always. is taken for the time for us. Thanks, as always, for having me. Patrick, obviously, I know you did not cover Lefty Drizel and his time at the University of Maryland, but you certainly, as much as anyone, understand the impact that Lefty Drizel had on uh, that program and on college basketball as a whole as we celebrate the life and the legacy of Lefty Drizel. I I wonder if, in a way, Lefty still doesn't fully get as much credit as he deserves because it's easy for someone to say, well, he never won a national championship, and not be aware of the culture of college basketball and the rules of college basketball at the time and not fully understand how dramatically he turned Maryland basketball in such a quick period of time. Yeah, I mean, well, first, um, you know, it's funny talking to some of the guys from the 1984 team at the, that were at the game on Saturday, guys like Jeff Baxter and uh, Terry Long and, and, and Keith Gatlin. Like, you know, you, you talk to those guys, and, and even though they came along well after – lefty got to Maryland they all recognized like this was the guy that that really put Maryland on the map I mean there's obviously the national title team uh the Joe Smith years all that 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 people remember and rightfully so but the foundation uh was essentially set uh when lefty showed up in the late 60s and you know talking to Gary Williams about it he's like it was it, it was basically night and day um the difference from when he got done playing in 1968 and uh, you know the early even by the early 70s when lefty started to get it going with those mcmillan and elmore teams so uh definitely a profound impact and i think too you know i i i think it's fair to say that some of lefty's acumen 
gets lost in the fact that Lefty was such a character. The personality, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like, I think everybody thinks that everybody has a Lefty story. Everybody has a Lefty impersonation. Uh, and you go to James Madison, it's the same thing. You go, you go all over the place, it's the same thing. But, you know, he understood, and he understood people. And I think that was the thing that, that you know, especially talking to, to Keith Gatlin about. Like, he got people. He understood you know, how to form relationships and how to nudge people along and, and not, uh, you know, not necessarily uh, be authoritarian about things. Not that, not that I'm sure he couldn't be a tyrant at times. I'm sure he could be. You know, most coaches, most coaches, you know, tend, tend to be that way when, when, when pushed up against the wall. But I, I think ultimately uh, that his overall acumen probably got lost a little bit in either, in either the, the character stories yeah. or just, you know, the midnight madness and, and things like that. And, and we were talking about that. And by the way, John Lucas did give us a couple stories about how Lefty was capable of being a tyrant at times. I'm sure. Yeah. I, absolutely. Um, but, but we were talking about that with those guys. And the other thing that really jumped out at me is I, 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 it's funny because I would also say that perhaps his coaching acumen gets lost because some of the stories about Lefty are just about the significance of hiring George Raveling and his pursuit mm-hmm. of Charlie Scott and getting Mike Malloy to Davidson but I don't think that the significance of that could be undersold. And in talking to, and we talked to Len, and we talked to Tom McMillan and John Lucas yesterday, like it is a significant part of the reverence that so many people had for Lefty. And, and they all said, look, you know, it, Lefty wasn't trying to make a statement. He was just trying to win basketball games. He's, like, just, trying, he's just trying to win. I actually think it, as, much, as much as rightfully, like the, the main chapter in Lefty's coaching story is at Maryland, yes, right? Yes. Uh, 17 years. Um, I think the bookends are the things that, that really kind of illustrate just how good he was. Yep. Like Davidson, in tiny school, half hour, 45 minutes north of Charlotte, and he had them playing in the lead eights. Yep. Um, now, granted, the tournament was smaller back then, but you're still one step away from playing in the national semifinals at, at, at Davidson, which without Steph Curry. Um, <laughs> right. and, then, and, and then at the end, you know, I don't know if you've ever been on Georgia State's campus, or at least Georgia State's campus before they had a nice huge round of construction. Um, but I, I mean, I've been inside the, the Georgia, Georgia State Sports Arena. It, it's basically you you, pop, you hit the elevator button, go up to the third or fourth floor or whatever, and there's the gym. Hmm. I mean, it's just in a big building. It, it blends into downtown hmm. a few blocks away from the state capitol. Like Georgia State and turning them into a team. Uh, that was able to not just you know make the tournament, but be really good. Like yep. that team back in '01 that he got to the tournament was really really good. I mean that was an 11 seed that they that he rolled out of there with, and they won they won 27 and five. Uh, that was a re- really impressive team. And so uh, you know to do that sort of work at, at at the end at the front end and the back end of his career, I think is every bit as telling as what he was able to do in terms of getting Maryland rolling. Um, safe home, Lefty Drizel, and to your point, Patrick, I, you know, obviously the stories, and I, I cherish conversations with them, and, and my favorite thing about a conversation with Lefty Drizel is you could not get him to talk about himself. Like, he just, and it, and it wasn't, like, you see this with some coaches where it's almost, it always felt so genuine how he just wanted to talk about his players at all times. Like, he just didn't want the story to be about him, and it was one of my absolute favorite things about Lefty Drizel. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't probably talk to him as much as you did, uh, but certainly uh, 
you got the the very real sense of of how much he enjoyed the relationships that he built, yeah. uh, the people that he got to know. I mean, I think he was somebody that that, that just thrived on on that idea of being something of an entertainer, quite frankly. Yep. Uh, and you think about you think about how much personalities define college basketball through the years, and and you know the players change, the coaches remain, uh, and, and that certainly goes down as as one of the great personalities guy that also won almost 800 games too uh anything at all to say about maryland basketball i, I feel like we don't really need to, to spend a whole lot of time there do we i i don't think we do yeah. um i i think uh i i think the next most interesting things that are going to happen there uh are going to happen in the off season yeah. um in terms of who you get to add two games on the road this week against wisconsin and, and against rutgers uh but let, let's face it like it, it, it's the same thing as, as ever Granted, they actually played pretty good offense yeah. against Illinois the yeah. other day. That was that was a perfectly commendable performance. Um, Illinois just has some dudes. Uh, and by the way, Jameer Young now second among Maryland players all time who will play only two program or two seasons in the program uh, in scoring. He passed Terrell Stoglin the other day. So only Joe Smith uh, ahead of Jameer I, Young. I, I hear he that, was on okay. that per- Yeah. On that particular sort of quirky scoring list, Jameer Young has 1,082 points. Uh, that's a, a good 200-some behind Joe Smith. Uh, and I'm not sure that, that uh, there's going to be 10 more games for Jameer Young to be able to make a serious run at that. Maybe maybe, maybe uh, seven, maybe eight. Uh, at this point, it's five in the regular season plus the Big Ten tournament. And who knows? Maybe, maybe there's an NIT berth out there uh, because those top two teams, remember, from the Big Ten, guaranteed a spot. That in the in the NIT, the teams that don't make the NCAA tournament. So uh, maybe there's an NIT berth out there for Maryland. Um, but overall, yeah, fourteen and twelve, six and nine in the league right now. If the tournament conference tournament started today, they'd be playing on Wednesday in Minneapolis, which is not where you sounds, want. To sounds really pleasant. Um, as as bad as that, Patrick Stevens with us here on GCR. As bad as that was, uh, I I would think the the events of Saturday were. Much worse for Towson. What what uh-huh. happened there? Uh, well, they had a game where they couldn't shoot. I mean, you look at that box score, and the thing that stands out more than anything else is they they shot uh, two of fifteen from three. They were under seventy percent at the line. They were forty three percent from two. You know, Hampton got some buckets in the paint certainly, but it wasn't as if Hampton uh, just shot the cover off the ball or anything like that. It's just Towson didn't make shots. And, and quite candidly, you know, not only that, but they, they were down a bunch early and came back. It seemed like, okay, well, you, you kind of figure, all right, you, you, you've had your fun, Hampton. You haven't won a game in the league. Uh, it's close, all that stuff. And then basically at the end, Towson couldn't do anything right down the stretch. And so, you know, there's certain losses that you look at um, where you go, okay, uh, you can understand where that happened. Uh, but I think that if you're Towson uh, and you basically score eight points in the last 10 minutes against the worst team in the CAA, that that, that just isn't good enough. Yeah. And that's one of those things that's, that you just there, – there's no getting around it. That, that, is, that, is, that is the definition of an inexcusable performance. They have a big week, obviously, coming up um, at the point where, like, they, they better beat Charleston now if they want to avoid having to play before the, the, the Saturday – what is it? Uh, I'm trying to do the math. Saturday of the tournament? 
Sunday of the Sunday tournament. Of the, tournament. They, they, the, the tournament yeah. is the Sun- tournament yeah. is a Friday to the that's Tuesday right. affair now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I mean, right now they are tied for fourth, um, and so I, I certainly, for sure, think you better beat Monmouth on Thursday, and I certainly, for sure, think you need to beat A and T when you go on the road next week. Uh, but it, I, I think it's also reasonable to think that if you just got a split with Charleston and Wilmington that that would be enough to do it. Uh, and, and then you kind of look at the, at the other, you know, the other nine and five teams and what they've got left. I mean, Hofstra still has a Drexel, a Wilmington and a Charleston to go um, in, in the regular season. And Delaware um, has a Charleston and a Drexel to go along with a trip to Stony Brook. So, uh, you know, it, it's possible, I think for Towson to get through at, with a, a four seed at 11 and seven, but you probably want to win three of your next four just to be safe. Um, I was before yesterday going to ask you if it was time that we needed to maybe bring up Morgan state during these conversations because they had uh-huh. won five of six and then they turn around and they got kind of skull dragged at Delaware state last night. They've still won five of seven. Should we be talking at all about Morgan state? Well, the good thing and kind of the weird thing for, for Morgan is you have a 14-game league schedule, and they play their last four games at home, hmm. which means that they played seven, they play seven of their first ten, six of nine so far, plus Saturday's trip to Howard uh, away from, from Hill Fieldhouse. So uh, you look at the way that they've won in league play. You know, they've won by three, by six, by two, by seven, by five, um, and they have a couple double-digit losses to Delaware State. Uh, plus a ten-point loss at Norfolk State, so uh, they're 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 having trouble uh, staying in games uh, against you know Norfolk, obviously, and uh, have had a couple games get away from them against Dell State, but they've won a bunch of close games. I, I, I think that league right now, where you have a five-way tie at sec for second at five and four, uh, is kind of uh, uh, just kind of up for grabs basically, and, and Norfolk State isn't necessarily what we think of as North as like a, a super powerhouse. They're still good, but they're not as good as they were two years ago or as good as they probably should have been last year. Um, but they're still plenty of a solid enough team for sure. So uh, I, I think just about everybody in the MEAC at this point, with the exception of Coppin state and, and maybe Eastern shore, which is tough, but is inexperienced and doesn't quite have enough offensive punch is worth keeping at least something of an eye on in that league this year. I, I was at another MEAC game last night. I saw South Carolina State win at Howard. And South Carolina State went from having uh, a really limited roster that tried really hard last season to looking like something of a low-major Florida State mm-hmm. where they just throw waves of guys at you and nobody plays more than 26 minutes. And that's a team that I was like, whew, they're going to cause some problems for some people moving forward. So I think there's a lot of that in the MEAC this year where, where Morgan's had its moments. Uh, NC Central's still good. Howard still has pieces from its title team. Delaware State's much improved. Uh, down the list you go. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of possible outcomes when that tournament gets to Norfolk next month. All right. On the lacrosse front, Syracuse, Maryland, as advertised, obviously is a thriller. I was able to watch some of that, although I had my own game later. But um, just really seemed like a high-level lacrosse game and probably a uh, what will prove to be a good win for Maryland. Or I guess Syracuse has to prove that as the season goes on. Yeah, I think Syracuse is going to be a quarterfinal type of team. Okay. Now, I, I think if you're Maryland – 
um, it's kind of interesting. You're sitting here. You've you've won a couple overtime games on the road, which is great. You've won at Syracuse. You've won at Richmond. And I think both, they're both tournament teams. You're still kind of trying to gauge, well, how good are these guys? Right. Uh, your victory over Loyola maybe doesn't look as good after the Greyhounds lost to Hopkins the other day. And Loyola is now one and two. Uh, so we're still trying to figure out exactly how good Maryland is. I think they're better than last season. I think Logan McNaney's return uh, makes a major difference for them. He had 14 saves uh, in the cage uh, on Saturday. And you look up and down that lineup, and, you know, Braden Erksa with four goals uh, had himself a, a fine day as well. They, they have options. Uh, they, they win face-offs with Luke Weirman again, 16 to 29. Uh, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, they have all those face-offs that they won, and they got outshot 48-29. Hmm. And it wasn't hmm. like they were too turnover happy. They had 16 compared to 10 for Syracuse. So, you know, I, I, I do kind of wonder exactly how they're, um, how they're going to look over time here. But they, they're, they're interesting for sure, and I think they're going to be better than they were last year. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, Hopkins gets the win over Loyola. The other local game that was noteworthy to me is Towson kind of taking it to Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, did we learn more about Towson, or did we learn more about Navy on Saturday? Uh, well, I think one of the things that uh, we definitely, definitely learned on Saturday is that Nick, Nick DeMeo is, yeah, uh, I, is a force to be reckoned yeah. with, with four goals and five assists. How about this? This is the first time that Towson has won back-to-back games by double-digit margins, this game combined with its Mount St. Mary's game, since 2004. Well, I mean, I, you know, you say that it kind of makes sense to me only because they played such a, you know, defensive, like, low-scoring brand of lacrosse for a long time that, like, I... Correct. I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I'm kind of not all that surprised by it, right? It's not It's not surprising, but it's still a somewhat yes. striking number yes. to toss out there. So... Yep. Uh, you know, you shoot 17 of 41, that's going to win you a lot of games. I think if you're Towson, you probably would like to not commit six penalties. Uh, but beyond that, like that, that's really kind of uh, nitpicking, I think, when you go out and do what you did in Navy. And I, I think, too, that's one of those things that you look at if you're Navy and, and go, man, you got, you got some work to do, especially – uh, as Penn State comes calling in Annapolis this weekend. No doubt. And, uh, Towson plays, what, Friday, so they get an extra day. There's a midweek game at Loyola next week for Towson. So uh, an opportunity there to uh, pick up another couple of wins. All right, Patrick, it's time for us to play our game. Can Patrick Stevens name the MLB teams that this player played for or managed? And I'm running low on modern five-team managers. So I, this one, to me, was not even a slam dunk, uh, but I – still have no doubt that you'll handle it not quite as accomplished as some of the other managers that we've included in recent weeks uh did win a world series as a player but never as a manager five teams for jeff torborg is the first name on the list okay jeff torborg um i'm trying to think through which order i I don't know if i'm going to get these in order but he was definitely in Cleveland. He was that like was in first. the early eighties, uh, late 70s, 77 to seventy nine. Seventy seven to seventy nine. He was definitely the White Sox manager, like in the late eighties, uh, eighty nine to ninety one. Um, I remember him with that weird Montreal Florida combination. So you got both Montreal in two thousand one, and the Marlins oh two and oh three. 
Uh, did he have a cameo as the Yankees manager oh, in the Steinbrenner year? Wrong, wrong side. The the oh, it was the Mets. Mets huh? The Mets in '92 and '93 yeah. for Jeff Torborg. Yeah, I that one was tough. That one was tough. So I give you this one. Um, somebody brought it up to me last week, and I was like, "Huh, why have we never done this person?" And I realized that technically, because we said they had to play five years after 1980. His career ended after the 84 season, but he's a Hall of Famer, and I think that you'll be good with it, and I think that uh, you'll have no problem giving me the five teams for the great Joe Morgan. The great Joe Morgan, Houston. Yep. Cincinnati. Of course. Philadelphia. Yep. Oakland. Yes. And San Francisco. There you go. Those are the five teams for the great Joe Morgan. So we'll wrap uh, the four-teamer this week. Uh, I had a few on the list. I'm going to go with Terry Kennedy is going to be my choice for the four-teamer this week. Terry Kennedy, uh, four Terry teams. Kennedy. Okay, well, I can. I know. I think the two in the middle are San Diego and Baltimore, Of course right? they are, yes. Okay, so... Trying to remember where else Terry Kennedy was is a little bit of a challenge. Um, in fairness, all, both he, of them were three-year stints. Okay. Um, on the front end, was he in St. Louis? It most certainly was, 78 to 80. Okay. And so the back end for Terry Kennedy is like, what, 88 to no, 89 to 91? 89 to 91, it? exactly right. Huh. Was he a uh, – I'm going to do it. No, I'm not. I'm going to say the Giants. The Giants is correct. Very nicely done. Okay. Four for four on Terry I was about Kennedy. to go, I was Dodgers, about to go yeah. with the Dodgers. Yeah, I wouldn't have blamed you at all, but no, you had it. It's uh, the Giants. Nicely done. All right, what's the schedule look like for you this week? Uh, I will uh, I will be uh, uh, headed down to Georgetown to see them play St. John's tomorrow. Towson hosting Monmouth on Thursday. Mount St. Mary's. A uh, big weekend for them. They they just struggled losing a couple games at Ryder and Fairfield. They get uh, uh, St. Peter's on Friday. Uh, and a lacrosse game, I think, TBD. Uh, Saturday's kind of in flux at this point. All right. So. Very good. Of course, at Discourse, D1S Course, you can find out where it's be what everybody is in demand for. Where is Patrick Stevens on Saturday? You can find that out at Discourse, D1S Course. Always appreciate you, pal. Let's talk again next Tuesday. Thanks so much as always. Awesome, Glenn. Take care. Patrick Stevens with us here on GCR. <sighs> you know, I, I saw that – did you see that UConn was the first unanimous number one team in the polls all season long? Uh, I guess the only thing that makes you th- – like, why wasn't it sooner, I guess, that UConn was the unanimous one? Well, because even they have had their slip-ups right, right. this season. I mean, like, that's been, I, it, they, they had to beat Marquette by 30 in order to prove and to everyone. That's, that, obviously, that was such an emphatic performance over such a good team that it, it caught everybody and they said, okay, like this, this at the moment is the team. But the nature of – like I saw like ESPN on their website did something like, who would you rather have, UConn or the field? And like I get it, UConn's really good, but – Going back to back. I mean, well, it's more just the nature of college basketball this right. season. Like, no, you can't bet on anyone. Nobody has been so good that I think that's a a warranted question. Like, I think it'd be asinine. That of course UConn should be the favorite today. As I wander over to Superbook, of course, Superbook.com. I would go download the Superbook app. Use the code Glenn Clark twenty three when you sign up. You'll receive up to two hundred fifty dollars in a same day first bet match, win or lose. 
Superbook.com. Download the Superbook app again. Glenn Clark, 23. So go ahead. Tell me what you think. I got the top 10 right oh, now. Man. UConn. UConn at 5-1. to one. So number two, I mean, they played really well. Well, I mean, they, they beat Iowa State. Iowa State's really good, too. I'll go Purdue as number two. Purdue, despite losing to Ohio State yes. this weekend, is number two. Houston. Six to one. Houston is uh, tied for third at eight to one. Hmm. Houston is tied for third. Forget this if you watch the uh, the the tournament, the mock tournament oh. thing from this week, because they were the uh, other number one seed. I did not watch the yeah. Mock-up um, what have they done? Just be, it's because I just don't pay enough attention to them. But I don't think they've lost kind of recently. Arizona. Arizona okay. was the other one. Yep. They're also at eight. Too to far one. out there. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just forget about them. You think I'm gonna watch Pac twelve basketball? It's dead. I'm gonna watch Pac twelve network. God. This yeah. was a really tough moment yesterday. The Pac twelve named a new commissioner Ooh. yesterday. So the Pac And I believe So you're just running two schools. She's and... set to become the first I think I hang on, I gotta oh, I gotta man. make sure. She's gonna be like the first female commissioner of a power conference, but like for a day. That's like um, that's uh Teresa Gould. Man. Teresa Gould is the new commissioner of the Pac twelve. Congrats the to first her. First woman to serve as commissioner of front office sports calls it an autonomy five conference. I've not heard that ter- that phrase before, autonomy five, but I think power five is the So you call it independence now? Just I, I'm like I don't it's so, when I saw that they fired George Klavikov, who like everybody blamed and he was Allowed the league to disband. I'm like, right, I get it, but like, first, why now? <laughs> Two, how do you get fired from something that doesn't exist? Like, it's not, it's not real. And what is this? What like? And I mean this with all due respect to her because I'm and sure she's quite qualified. To... Like, you take this job to do what? Just say that you were the is it to just is so it, is it is the point starting of the job now she's at just to get you through baseball like you're acting through the end of spring sports season yeah, I mean you know it would definitely help someone still needs to be the commissioner of the league until the year is over but are you just doing that or is there an actual role that you're gonna govern these two schools who are uncommitted to anything moving forward like are you actually like in charge of yeah I imagine there has to be some benefit you know. Career-wise, admittedly, to... <laughs> I am surprised that the the Pac-12 brand has not been appealing enough to at least for the Mountain West to say, just like we'll take, almost, we'll or... take on the Pac-12 brand. Like and Im- immediately, now they lost out when Cal and Stanford went to the ACC, but there was a moment when all this unfolded to say, all right, we've got four schools left standing. Let's take those four, combine with the Mountain West, and if we have if we have to call it the Pac West yeah. to make them feel like they're still a part of it, the brand of the Pac Ten became the Pac Twelve should still be strong enough that the Mountain West schools would say, Yeah, we'd like to be a part of that and you form a league and, and that's the way that it goes. I that's essentially what they're doing, like Oregon State and Washington State are gonna play schedules against Mountain West teams. But they're not going to compete in the Mountain West. So they both made the championship. I don't. I don't know, man. The, the pack uh, two no, championship. I have no idea. But awkward. But yes, they hired a commissioner. Um, you want to keep going, or do you just want to bag it? Uh, I'll go. I don't. I don't think they're fifth. But Iowa State. Iowa State is uh, currently tied for ninth. Even though the well, I don't even know what they're ranked anymore. But Kansas. Or I mean, they're still ranked. Kansas, Kansas is who Iowa State be. is tied with. Okay. 
Um, who else would be up there? You're missing four schools, three of which are all in the same conference. Are they Big Twelve? Oh, SEC. I haven't guessed any SECs. Uh, Tennessee. Tennessee at uh, is tied for fifth at fourteen to one. By the way, Iowa State and Kansas are twenty to one. Just to win the national title. Kentucky. No. Auburn. Yes. Fourteen to one. What other SEC school am I missing? Um, I will go with uh, yeah, Alabama. Alabama, eighteen okay. to one. Yes, and they are tied for eighth with. Uh, they are tied for eighth with uh this. What did you say the other conference was? I didn't say what the other conference oh, uh, was. Oh, Carolina. Carolina is okay. the other one. Absolutely, that's the other one. That's because group. it's Carolina. There you go. <laughs> that's your top ten at the Superbook as far as teams most likely to win the national championship. If you want to get your bets in. All right, still to come today, Terry Hasseltine's going to join us. We're going to talk about um, the CIAA tournament and some other things on the radar for Maryland sports, big events. We'll do that uh, not next next. i got a couple of things I want to get to, but that's coming up uh, as we continue along on Glenn Clark Radio. We're struggling today. We are, we are. So we are. It's, uh, might not what be, are we doing? Might not be able to have you out on Monday nights anymore. It's a f- impacting. That all that drinking you did last night. Right. It's impacting your performance on Tuesday. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Hey, it's Jeremy Kahn. This postseason, bet in person at the Green Turtle Bet Park Sportsbooks with locations in Canton and in Towson and enjoy the best in-class sports wagering experience at their state-of-the-art facilities, bringing an unmatched sports betting thrill. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Discover your next favorite beer crafted in the heart of Charm City. At Guilford Hall Brewery, we believe beer should be flavorful and easy to enjoy. Our meticulously crafted lagers and ales are derived from centuries-old European brewing traditions, a staple for both the seasoned beer aficionado or a novice hophead. Experience beer styles that dare to showcase the exceptionality of simplicity. Visit our restaurant and brewery at 1611 Guilford Avenue or view our menu and tap map online at guilfordhall.com guilford hall brewery european tradition baltimore charm make the most out of every day in your toyota rav4 available in hybrid or gas only models a rav4 can get you where you want to go in style check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new rav4s from your local toyota dealer today there's so much focus on sports betting these days but i want to talk about an area that nobody wants to gamble on where you choose to go out and spend your hard-earned dollars to eat the Costas Inn is no gamble at all. The quality on their menu is outstanding, and the value is off the charts with a great and varied list of specials Monday through Friday. And the staples of the menu, whether it's salads, burgers, fish, they're all fantastic. And I haven't even mentioned the crabs or crab cakes yet. So check out the menu for yourself at CostasInn.com. When choosing a place to dine, never gamble on the food you put in your belly. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard, or call 410-477-1975 for reservations and your steamed crab orders. 
Six chicken tenders made from fresh, never-frozen Royal Farms world-famous chicken, a family-sized order of Western fries, honey mustard dipping sauce, and a two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper. It's Royal Farms' new Tucker's Tenders Meal. It's Justin Tucker's favorite, and at only $19.99, it'll be your favorite meal, too. The new Tucker's Tenders Meal, available only at Royal Farms. Now you can kick back, relax, and eat like a champion. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. What company has the expertise to make your home healthier by purifying your air and killing all viruses, allergens, and bacteria? A.J. Michaels, heating and air conditioning in Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com. Hungry? With seven locations throughout Maryland, Glory Days Grill is always right around the corner. They have wings, burgers, salads, sandwiches, and drinks to satisfy everyone, as well as tons of televisions and sound delivered right to your phone. Glory Days is the best place to watch football or whatever your favorite sport is. While you're there, be sure to check out Goose Flights Lager, named in honor of legendary Raven Tony Goose Siragusa. $2 of every can is donated to the Goose Flights Foundation. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. One of the things that's definitely wrong with this country is that this dude still has a job somehow, some way. Glenn Clark. It is a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio, and let's do this now, in fact, as our next guest is a friend of ours. He is the executive director of Maryland Sports and always working on something. Next week, the CIAA tournament returns to Baltimore. Joining us now, Mr. Terry Hasseltine. Terry, good morning. It's Glenn. It's always good to catch up. Thanks for taking the time for us. Oh, our pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I, let's let's go back. Let's work backwards for what the vision was when the CIA and Baltimore and the state of Maryland first started talking about the possibility of this. What was what was your thought process for the impact that this event could have for our region? And so far, what have been the results and how impactful has it been? Well, it's a loaded question with a lot of good stuff that can come out of it. So the CIAA was um, an opportunity that was brought forward by Al Hutchinson at Visit Baltimore, uh, wanted to bring back, you know, college basketball at a high level to the city of Baltimore. We knew that we wanted to tie in with a mission-driven type of event that could, you know, hit multiple, you know, opportunities for the city beyond just a game of basketball. And then, you know, obviously when the opportunity came for us to explore you know, bringing the CIAA out of Charlotte to Baltimore, we created a robust team of folks that went down in, in front of um, the presidents of the CIAA and, and pitched why Baltimore would be the great a great destination for their basketball tournament, plus all their ancillary activities that do everything from job fairs to engaging our youth community and the like. So yeah. We knew that this was a tremendous opportunity to bring, you know, great basketball to the city of Baltimore, but more importantly, to bring a community connector event to the city of Baltimore, as I mentioned, above and beyond just a game of basketball. And so with the leadership of Al, Dr. Bro at uh, Bowie State and, and several others, we, we made the pitch. We explained to them why we think this event is important to our landscape, why we think that the impact that this tournament could make on the city of Baltimore would be significant, not just fiscal impact. I mean, that's great stuff, but we were gonna be able to connect to underserved communities. We were gonna be able to enrich scholarship opportunities for residents of Maryland and the like to HBCU institutions and just drive a bigger, stronger narrative for the city of Baltimore uh, uh, above and beyond 
the game of basketball. So this event is huge for the city of Baltimore. It's huge for the state of Maryland. And we are excited at Maryland Sports to be a principal partner in bringing this thing to life here in the city next week. I, I know you said it goes beyond financials, but is there anything you can tell us financially? Just just for someone who's still, because I, I do still think, Terry, and I'm sure you deal with there are people that are sports fans that are like, it's a Division Two basketball tournament because they don't know the cultural impact of the CIAA tournament. It is well, you're the, talking about an event that's generating over $29 plus million dollars on our economy because it's a week long of basketball at cfg arena however there are job fairs yep. there are fiscal um you know relevancy programs there are career fairs you you name it it's about bringing the community together to celebrate the game of basketball and all the pageantry that goes along with hbcu um culture and the like so it's really important that we realize that the game of basketball might be at the forefront of bringing um this event to baltimore but it's really the connecting pieces that get out into our communities that get out into our campuses and that get out into the young people of the city of baltimore and say there's bigger things beyond the game there's things that you can learn and take away from this event that you can bring back to your home community whether that's you know in baltimore if it's down at Bowie, down in pretty sure wherever it might be there are tools and there are opportunities and there are experiences above and beyond the game of basketball why this thing touches so many valuable and critical points for the entirety of the city of Baltimore and the state of Maryland, and why we're so excited to be a part of it. I know last summer there was an extension announced to keep the event here through 2026. Um, as far as you guys are concerned and the relationship, is there reason for you to believe that like there's a real possibility of making this, you know, I, I know permanent's always a tricky word to use, but like making this go even further than 2026? Well, our, our goal is obviously we're working in, in concert with the commissioner and the, the council of presidents um, in taking, you know, those steps necessary. I mean, the fact that we've got out of the gate as strong as we have with delivering this event for the CIAA and, and a great partnership. Jackie McWilliams, the commissioner of the CIAA, is one of the greatest leaders in college sports right now. And the fact that we have the opportunity to work in concert with her and her team and the, and the presidents throughout the CIAA um is critical to the future growth of the things that we want to do in sports tourism in general you know in the city of baltimore in the state of maryland so yes our goal is to have this thing you know we'd love to see it permanently you know in the the fabric of, of baltimore's landscape but we also have to realize that we're dealing with an organization that has a responsibility to its institutions mm -hmm. it has responsibilities to the up-and-coming generations that are going to be students on these college campuses and therefore, taking these, you know, extensions in the in the way that they're coming is, is important because it does allow us to plan ahead. However, it doesn't, you know, lock either party into a commitment that, you know, due to circumstances, we might not be able to control where there has to be adjustments. So I feel very positive that the event's going to be here for a long time. The question is, is what's the definition of a long time? Sure. And we will figure that out in the coming years. But Maryland sports is committed to the CIAA, committed to visit Baltimore, the city of Baltimore, and the state of Maryland delivering a world-class event for the city. I, I want to talk about some of the other things that are coming up, but if I could first, Terry Hasseltine, executive director of Maryland sports. I, we're about at the one-year mark of the unveiling of the new CFG Bank Arena, 
And at this point, the CIAA tournament is the only major sporting event that we've seen. And that's not, I, I, to be clear, I knew. I know that that was not the point of the arena. The arena, as Frank Remish told us, it's a concert venue. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a show venue. And there have been, like, sports-adjacent things, like uh, <laughs> Monster Jam and professional wrestling, things like that. But I do know that in talking to you and talking to Frank and talking to the mayor, that there was the hope for there to at least be an occasional one-off sporting event is, is is there still reason to believe that those types of events could be coming the possibility of like the ncaa is is that still in the pipeline or in the thought process for the building oh most certainly i mean constantly looking at opportunities that you know we can bring to the city of baltimore through sports tourism and sports events um cfg arena is obviously going to be an integral part of a lot of those conversations you know, it's a it's a matter of where the best fit is for the event that we're looking at. Um, how does the arena play a role in that aspect? And sometimes the arena might be a supporting um, aspect to a sporting event. For example, we might do the primary aspect of an event in the convention center because we need multiple courts mm-hmm. or multiple surfaces of play. However, having the arena available to add an enhancement like a concert or something else to add onto it. So our goal is always how do we best package opportunities? How do we best bring them together so that we can make sure that all venues and all opportunities are are available and pursued in a, in a given event? Will there be a one-up sporting event in uh, CFG Arena beyond the CIAA in the future? Yes. Um, but as you alluded to, Len, I mean, it it's a tremendous concert venue and it sets up perfectly to be a concert venue but the square footage on that floor can be maximized for future sporting events. And we look forward to working with our partners across the city to identify those events that make sense for CFG Arena. All right. I, I, I look forward to hearing more about that as we move forward. Terry, um, I know that uh, there's some big-time soccer head to the state of Maryland this summer. Um, I, don't, I don't The thing that's been reported from the last week, is that public yet? Can we talk about that thing? What's that? The, uh, the Argentina thing. Um, it's, it's definitely, you know, moving forward, you know, here in the state of Maryland, um, are you talking about the event, the Copa lead-in event? Yes, correct. Yes. The, the Copa lead-in event and, and the like at FedEx. Yep. That's so, yep. so we know, I know that it was official about the, the, the U S playing a match, but then obviously when you're talking about the idea of Leo Messi playing in the state of Maryland, that's a, that's a pretty freaking big deal. Like my kids are already starting to hammer me about that. And the possibility of doing that. And as much as we would all like for that to be in Baltimore, for you and your job and what it is that you do, I know it doesn't matter. It's in the state of Maryland. That's the important part for you. Yes. Whenever we have the opportunity to support our partners across the entire state, um, you know, obviously we have, you know, uniqueness. We have two, you know, NFL stadiums in the state of Maryland that both, you know, are pursuing, you know, great opportunities, both you know, clubs do a tremendous job in securing event opportunities for their prospective facilities. Our job is here to support them and provide resources when and where available. Um, we're always excited whenever we can see big time, you know, soccer coming to the state of Maryland, you know, but when it's all said and done, the, you know, the teams, you know, do a lion's share of that effort with our support behind the scenes. So, we're excited to support the commanders in this effort and look forward to the role that they'll need us to play. There was another report that was floating around. I know I realize I'm asking you about things. I don't know how much you can talk about, Terry, but 
Um, there was another report floating around this weekend about perhaps like another major sporting event a few years down the road that we've been waiting for for a long time here in Baltimore. Um, a- anything you could tell us about the possibility of uh, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game returning to Baltimore? Well, I know, you know, now that some things have transacted, you know, in the, the, the Baltimore um, area with the, the ownership of the club and the like, I know that there is a large interest and a huge interest, actually a large, huge interest by leadership and, and Maryland sports, along with others, to look at bringing the All-Star game uh, to the state of Maryland and to Oriole Park and Camden Yards. You have to stay tuned because obviously that's yeah. a discussion that's going to start anew because of, you know, some new direction and some new leadership within, you know, the organization that has to be the principal in that effort. So stay tuned. I think you'll hear more about that in the coming months as a lot of this stuff starts to stabilize. All right. I, 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 I want to know, I want to know everything right now. That's my problem, Terry. Like I want to get all the information but uh, we are certainly excited about the possibility. So let's focus on what is like what what we know. What's not speculative. What's not what the 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 biggest dates to you moving forward here in 2024. The most important things to be on the radar of a sports fan here in the state of Maryland. Give me a few of those. Well, obviously next week the CIAA basketball tournament. Yeah. You know, coming to the city of Baltimore and CFG arena, you know, obviously this spring, you know, the return of the Preakness and the Preakness stakes happening at Pimlico and, you know, obviously discussion, the long-term discussion of where that stands um, in the future of horse racing, you know, in the, in the state of Maryland long-term we have, a, I mean, there's too many youth and amateur soccer, lacrosse, basketball tournaments right. to talk about between now and the fall. You have the Maryland Cycling Classic re- returning over Labor Day weekend um, over the, the streets of Baltimore County and Baltimore City, followed by the Maryland Five Star in October um, up in Cecil County at, at Fair Hill. And then the Governor's Challenge, which is the largest high school basketball tournament in the country yep. you know, over in Wicomico County. And, you know, great group there that puts that event on each year. So there's just so many events in, in the state of Maryland's calendar. Um, that are both high profile, but really at the crux of it, and glad I've shared this with you before, is that youth and amateur sports market that is yep. week in and week out driving the economy for the state of Maryland through sports tourism. You're talking about heads and beds, food and belly, gas and cars, credit card and cash counters and butts and seats through the youth and amateur sports market, and why the Michael Aaron Bush Fund that we created is so critical to making sure that we're getting our piece of that proverbial pie you know, for the state of Maryland in, you know, strong competition against the states like Florida, Texas, and California, New York, and others, we we compete very intensely in that space, and we make sure that Maryland has that piece of the pie. So youth and amateur sports, and you add on some major international soccer matches, you add on these other high-profile events, and you got a, a, a recipe that means that Maryland's, you know, capturing its economic share of these events no 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 question look army navy i know is back in maryland this year too which is obviously very army navy at fedex this year and then at mnt bank the following year yep correct but i what you just said it it really and i get it i i 
I think there are people that don't understand why it would be like, why is it such a big deal to bring a, you know, a kid's bike race? I don't understand. And like, because what you don't understand is what they're doing is they're bringing their entire families with them. And as you just pointed out, they have to stay somewhere. They have to eat somewhere. They, they, they probably want to go experience the region while they're here. Like, Hey, if we're going to make a trip, we might as well not just be cooped up in the hotel the whole time. We might as well go out and like, maybe go to an Orioles game and go like that. It's so significant the impact that those types of events have for bringing dollars to the state of Maryland. Yeah. If you look at a lot of the studies that are out there in the current market, you know, what was the purpose that triggered, you know, a visitation to a destination? And you will see that, you know, since COVID, especially sports is usually a driving factor in that determination, whether that's, you know, Johnny or Sarah, who, whoever playing on a ball field that triggers another ancillary activity to occur, i.e. like in a museum visit or, or whatever, it's usually the sports event that's driving the travel or the trip yep. that then stimulates other activities to occur in concert with it. So it's called a sportcation or a staycation or, a, you know, travel vacation, whatever you want to call the term that's out there in the marketplace right now, we use sportcation because it's usually sports that's driving the vacation and that's what you see during the summer months, specifically on the Lower Eastern Shore, Ocean City, Wicomico, and Worcester County. I mean, the UAAA World Series, sand soccer, sand lacrosse, you, you name those activities. They're happening because not only are they playing competition for a day or two or three, they're also staying a day or two or three. Because if you're in that destination and there's sand and there's water, you're creating a vacation out of what is stimulated by a sports activity. Before I let you go, Terry, you and I talked a little bit um, off the air about the pro lacrosse, and obviously we know now that there's a team that's going to call Maryland home, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as the PLL shifts to more uh, home and away. But what's fascinating to me is it came, and I don't know how much, was there a study done, a significant study about the possibility of a new stadium being built to host like an, um, a USL team as well as perhaps pro lacrosse? Well, there was a study just done with uh, DC United on um, the MLS Next League, yeah. which the study is now public. You can find it on the Maryland Stadium Authority site um, to look at the impact of that, which is a, a facility which would be targeted primarily for soccer. However, we know that the dimension of a soccer pitch and a lacrosse pitch horse field um, are very similar in nature. So could there be a, a cross utilization there? There's the potential of that. However, the whip snakes, you know, that are calling Maryland home this coming year um, will will be, you know, playing, you know, here in our, our great state at, at Johns Hopkins um, at Homewood Field um, and during their barnstorming tour. And we're also working with them on some youth grassroots development with the PLL and some of their growth strategies and bringing um, opportunities to the forefront through youth sports and a collaboration that would be statewide. So having the PL here is a great opportunity for the state of Maryland. Above and beyond the professional team calling Maryland home, it's its grassroots connection to grow in the game of lacrosse here in the state. You know, our state team sport, obviously lacrosse, U.S. You know, lacrosse is headquartered here. Now having the PLL, you know, having a home team here allows us just to continue the expansion of the importance of lacrosse to our economy, the importance of the game to health and wellness of you know, young kids and the growth of young men and women, you know, through the game, 
It also makes sure that we go all the way from grassroots all the way up to the upper ranks of the sport. And I think that's critical as the sport continues to expand and gets added to the Olympics in 2028. Obviously, that's a very big deal for everybody involved. All right, uh, Terry Hasseltine, where can people find out more about what it is that you guys are doing with Maryland Sports? MarylandSports.us Maryland is our website, and we're on every social handle you can think of. And so when you want to know about sport tourism and the impact of it, go to MarylandSports.us. Uh, Terry Hasseltine, always appreciate you, sir. Thanks for spending some time with us Thank this you. morning and look forward to chatting you again. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. It's Terry Hasseltine, Executive Director of Maryland Sports with us here on GCR. I'm always I'm always interested in the stuff that like, you know, isn't isn't known just yet. Like that's the stuff that I want. I'm like, come on, come on, tell me about this. Tell me about this. Um Yeah, there was something floating around on uh, social media that uh, perhaps the Orioles are the favorites to host the 2029 All-Star Game. Now, I don't know exactly where that started because, unfortunately, I was seeing, like, the third and the fourth people that were sharing it. And so there's always the danger that, like, when you get to that point that when you find out where it started from, the answer is nowhere. Like, it's just the the nature of the beast. These things happen. Uh, Bob Nightingale. No, he's okay. he's he's yeah. definitely somebody that has information. So Usually, that's not yeah. A, yes, according to a recent report from MLB Insider, Bob Nightingale, the Orioles are the favorites to host the 2029 event. Now, why 2029? Uh, according to Bob Nightingale, so. This year, it's the Rangers, the Braves the following year. Remember, the Braves were originally scheduled to host, but then um, had it taken away from them in the aftermath of one of the, I think there was a voting rights law that Mm. um, was very controversial in the state of Georgia. And then the Phillies are hosting in 2026. Apparently, the Blue Jays are the favorites to host in 2027. And the Cubs were on there as well. And the Cubs in 2028. So, I don't know if that's just the plans were already in... Essentially, Major League Baseball said, change owners, we'll give you an all-star game. But the plans are already in motion for the Blue Jays in 2027, so there was just no path to, to do it any quicker. I, not sure. I'm just, I just don't know is all I can tell you. I don't know, but that's according to Bob Nightingale. Orioles, the favorites to host the 2029 MLB all-star game and... Look, it's not going to be for me. You guys know how I feel about All-Star games. It's not for me. But I get it. And, you know, I was a... I, like, I touched it in 93. In 93, I didn't go to the game. We went to the Fan Fest that they hosted at the Convention Center, which was electric. I mean, it was awesome. And... I I think my kids would be into it. I, I don't really know... Like, the prices will be extraordinary. I just can't imagine choosing to pay that much for that event. Like, I I get that, like, when a big event, when the this is the this is the thing I was talking about yesterday, when it feels like it's the thing that's going on, wanting to touch it is a big deal. I'm the wrong guy to talk about that because I, I would rather have a, like, hosting the World Series will be a big deal for me. Hosting the All-Star Game, not remotely. Like, not even a little bit. Everyone's going to be watching. Cool. Our city. Cool. Our and that's the, va- like, the value is there'll be a big TV audience, and you get to 
to tell your story and and shine like they I'm not saying it's not valuable. I just can't fathom choosing if you're Joe in Lutherville or you know Sally in Ellicott City, I can't fathom spending extraordinary amounts of money to to be at the All-Star game. I can't really even do it fathom spending that much money to be at the Home Run Derby, which I still think is better, but it's I think if I remember correctly, the home run derby tickets have been as expensive, if not maybe more expensive, than All Star Game tickets in recent years. So I can't, I just can't fathom that being how you choose to spend your dollars. Just to say you were there, like I, I want to be there for the World Series. Like if I'm spending an extraordinary amount of money, it's going to be for that, not to just say that I was at the event that people were watching. Like I, I just can't imagine that, but. I get it. It'll be a big economic boom. I'm I'm rooting for it nonetheless, despite it not being an event for me. You just hate Baltimore. No, nope, not remotely. Mm. I want Baltimore mm. to get it because it's a huge economic opportunity for Baltimore, and because there will be it'll impact everybody. It'll impact the. I I, I don't know that people just travel from all over the world to be at the All Star Game, but a lot of national media, a lot of like, national media, yeah. and the players themselves, like they're gonna go to restaurants and they're gonna tip people and like having more wealthy people descend upon Baltimore is good for our economy. You can't hide from that. The celebrities that come in for the stupid softball game. That oh, no yes. One's That's ever. what I want to go to, actually. And I say celebrities. That is what the, I want. The, the celebrities. Bad Bunny? Like, if he's... Yeah, sure. What do you mean? You're I mean, he he's not is. A celebrity? He's legitimate, yeah. but I don't know if he's going to keep playing in the thing every so year. So what, baby? We get the Futures game. Yes, you would have the Futures yeah. game, the Home Run Derby. The, the Futures game would be the thing that, like, m- maybe that's more reasonably priced, and so right. that could be the way that – that didn't exist in 93. So that could be the thing that allows, like, a more average person in Baltimore to touch All-Star Game weekend is – oh, and the draft would be there because the draft is now in the same city oh. as the – so where would be the ideal place to host the draft? The arena or in the – like, that well, would they be They did cool it in, in L.A. at – LA right. Live, right? They did it. They wanted to have a cool sort of like loungy, view. yeah. Well, I think it was more about like the way that it popped on television, right? So in that way, somebody would say like maybe Fort McHenry would be mm-hmm. the the cool thing that would pop on television. The I don't, aquarium, yeah, somewhere. In the- I don't know about yeah, that, not, but yeah, like but the harbor in general. Right. Like it, if in fact, I don't know what the timing is for the new harbor place, right? And when that would come into fruition, but like if if it timed out, that it was around the same time, doing it right there at Harbor Place or right there on the pavilion area in the corner would be interesting. Wouldn't be the end of the it like would be to a, do it in Camden Yards. You get the warehouse in the background like that. Would yeah, be. that's. I mean, it's a good view. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you want to show. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, show more. I think the opportunity to show more of the city is is significant. Be. We talked about this before. The like, if the if Baltimore ever hosted the NFL draft, where do you do it? I I guess on the water is the answer. Like the answer yeah. is you try to do it. Like that that's what that's the view that people like. So you try to do it. Like maybe that where that welcome area is near Harbor Place. I don't know. Besides the one big building that the new Harbor Place will have, I don't know what the rest of the the Harbor Place area is going to look like after these renovations. But I, I would say that the water would be a priority for trying to have that in the camera shot for an event like this. But yeah, you would host the futures game, the draft, 
home run derby, the stupid celebrity thing, and the, the great celebrity, yeah, the stupid all star game. <laughs> like well, that's that's well. and and there's a convention that comes along with it. Like they will like there was in '93. They still do the I don't know if they still call it fan fest, but whatever they call it, they still do that. Um, and so that would all be a part of Baltimore hosting the 2029 All-Star Game if indeed it comes to fruition as has been suggested by Bob Nightingale. So hope that's the case. That would be great news. That'd be great news. I don't know how off, how far out they typically announce All-Star Games. Like right now, the next three are announced. So I don't know if you have to wait till like 2026 to get the answer for whether... Well, I guess it would go... Oh, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Right? Yeah. Like, right now, we well, only know... Well, I mean, know, yeah, if they're, well, like, no, already We only flirting. know through 2026 right now. Yeah. They're they're so hypothetical. They're only out three years. Right. So do we have to wait till 2027 to find out officially? I, I assume the 2026 was announced last year. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what the plan is for that. All right. Uh, we are winding down on a Tuesday edition of GCR. Griffin, it's always a good time to be at Live Casino and Hotel. Yes, it is because of sports and social at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. It features an on-site FanDuel location and is your ultimate spot to watch uh, the, the, the best sports going on. March Madness coming up. That will be the place to be using their massive 100-foot media wall. So order up your favorite game day bites, take a sip from the signature crushes, and extensive beer selections all just steps away from the FanDuel Sportsbook. So watch, wager, and win at Sports and Social at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland. Adirondack Mills must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, really quickly, a reminder that tomorrow is the day that the new print issue of PressBox will hit newsstands. Mm. Uh, Orioles theme on the cover as we look uh, towards the start of the 2024 season. What are you? There, we, we may have a copy. Oh, do we already have yeah. it? Do we? Well, yeah, if we got it, go grab it. Yeah, I don't know if we. You're telling me this is this is like Donald Trump. This is the first. It's the first I've heard this. You're telling me this now for the first time. I know nothing about this. What is he saying in there? Well, I know that, but I he said Thursday. I was told tomorrow. 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 tomorrow yeah. All right, thank you. I had this right the entire time. This is what it's going to look like tomorrow. As I said when I started the promo, tomorrow the Ooh. new print issue of Pressbox will be available. And there, the promise of spring on the cover, you find uh, a number of key Orioles going into the season. Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, Gunnar Henderson, and Adley Rutschman. The story, and it's sort of a bigger feature inside about the totality of everything going on, the new ownership, the addition of Corbin Burns, all of those things featured in this cover story, cover feature, whatever you is that you want to call it, um, that covers a whole lot of that Todd Karpovich diving into many of the elements of the excitement of the 2024 Orioles. So, again, go check that out uh, starting tomorrow. It'll be available at your neighborhood Royal Farms and the hundreds of locations around town where you find press box. And you'll be able to pick it up on newsstands throughout the course of the week or read it all at pressboxonline.com. Tidbit is brought to you today by Toyota. If you think you know high school basketball, then prove it. Put your mouth where your mouth is. I don't know the way that it's. I don't think you have to pay, so yeah. I can't say put your money where your mouth is. But you know what I mean. You got your opportunity to go prove how much it is that you know about basketball, high school basketball, right now. 
by playing the Pick'em game at CountySportsZone.com. Pick the winners or earn points to see where you stand on the leaderboard. CountySportsZone.com is presented by your local Toyota dealer. Uh, all right, well, since we're talking about Alabama basketball, in their last two games... Not really talking about Alabama basketball. Maybe we did a quick Alabama segment. Yeah. No, we didn't. It came up for half a second. Uh, in their last two games, the Alabama basketball team has made at least 18 threes and 18 two-point field goals uh, in uh, consecutive games, consecutive conference games, uh, and they are the first team in at least the last 25 years to have consecutive conference games of at least 18 uh, twos and 18 threes as they put up uh, triple digits against LSU and Texas A&M in their prior two games. Not only that, but they have now hit that 100-point mark eight times this season. So coming from uh, Jeff Borzello via ESPN uh, Stats and Info, no other team has done that more than five times this season, and they are the only SEC team to do it that many times in the last 30 seasons. The last time it was done more by an SEC team was uh, 1995-96. Who was? Kentucky. Correct. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) So that good. is that is who Alabama's chasing. If uh, they can get uh, they can break that record, if they have two more triple digit uh, scoring scorers uh, this season, Alabama definitely uh, yeah buy stock now. Is that is that what they're saying? If you say so, um, Damian Lillard. Oh, you'll love this one. Uh, he became the only player in NBA history to make ten threes in a regular season game, a playoff game, and the NBA NBA All Star game. Say that one more time. He became the first NBA player ever to have ten threes in a game. In a regular season game, a playoff game, and the All-Star game. Who cares? Well, he's the first to ever do it, so you tell me. Great. Uh, Denny Avdia also last week. we got to get all the basketball ones out of the way. He uh, became the first Wizards player to score 40 points. Actually, he became the first Wizards Wizards player to ever score 40 points because the last time it was done was 1987 when they were still known as the Bullets. Do you know the last uh, Wizard I put in quotations, Wizard to score 40 points. I mean, Gilbert Arenas? It was not Gilbert Arenas. It was 87. What? Yeah. 1987. Wait, Bradley Beal never scored? 1987 is the last time that a... That's really kind of stunning, man. (laughs) Like, I know they're an inept organization, but, like, even by their standards, that's not... One, two, really? three, four, five. They've had five players. Denny is the sixth. They've had five players in franchise history I mean, score it, 40. You have to, this, who could possibly care is the first thing you want to say. I, I can't even tell you who was on that team. In 1980, Muggsy was on the team around then. I'm going to guess he never scored 40 points. It was not Muggsy. He didn't, he didn't score like that. I couldn't with my life on the line tell you. Washington Bullets in 1987 on January 12th. How would anybody know this? No one in Washington would know this. It was, you ready for it? Moses Malone. Okay, if you say Moses Malone dropped 41. You want to try to name the other, uh, you know, Bullets, Baltimore Bullets and Washington Bullets Wes Unseld? Wes Unseld never did it. (laughs) Phil Chenier? No. I'm going to run out of guys that... Earl the Pearl... No. I, what are we doing? Elvin Hayes. Uh, yes, Elvin okay. Hayes. Elvin cool. Hayes did it several times in the 70s. Uh, and then you're this would require me to... The, 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 this is the most irrelevant franchise in the history of American pro sports. And they rival the Arizona Coyotes in that way. Um, 
All right, so then I just give it to you. Uh, Gus Johnson. Uh, I probably could have gotten Gus Johnson. Bailey Howell. I don't know what that is. Uh, Walt Bellamy. Uh, maybe could have gotten Walt Bellamy. That's maybe. the list. That's the list. Elvin Hayes. This is terrible. Team. Like, I, and I mean this. Though, it's not just because why would anybody in Baltimore care about this? Like, it's the, it's really bad when no one in your own city cares about it. I, they're all hot and bothered about this uh, arena thing in D.C. It's the thing that like is driving every day of conversation is that everyone hates this idea of moving the like nobody likes it. There's nobody that thinks it's a good idea for the teams to move out of this the city and into. The I, I left off a crucial part of the tidbit here. Oh, did uh, you? Yeah, uh, 15 rebounds and 40 points. That's why Bradley Beal didn't. Pretty show critical, up. Yeah, Griffin. Is. Denny, but Denny obviously pretty did. critical yeah, well, to leave that part of the conversation now. <laughs> All right, uh, fine. We'll do another one. No, well, I okay. mean, if it's related to the Wizards, I sure as f don't. It's not related. To the but I, I, I and, mean, and I I'm, save it. I'm going to say this: it, unless something ungodly changes, there should never be another Washington Wizards. Well, it was a Baltimore. It was half a Baltimore Bullets. Sorta. Gus sorta. Johnson and yeah, sorta. <laughs> There, that there's was my no tie-in. reason why anyone on the planet should ever be no talking sports about this. I guess I should have done a Daytona Wizards. tidbit. That would William been. Byron won the Daytona 500. That's what that, I, was. that was the tidbit I should have done. Apparently, <laughs> who won the Daytona? Apparently, NASCAR fans don't like it because he caused a crash, and then ended up. That was why I kind of care or something. I couldn't. Griffin at one point it was on at the bar. Griffin like looked up like, oh, it looks kind of cool. Well, yeah, because there was a bunch of sure carnage. Sure. Oh well, yeah, because the, when they're doing the, the fireworks, yeah, the, the fireworks end, yeah. looked really cool after this. Should run it at night more often. I don't know what time it normally. They should, I, but it may be that it starts at three and then it ends at. Night. I don't know. I I don't. I have it no ends idea. At like six or seven. Yeah, and so it's already they can do the fireworks anyway. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. This will never be. If you're I, like our guy John, it seems like a President's Day thing. If you're into racing, ble- God bless you. It's a big day. And look, President's Day, as I pointed out, wide open. I spent time with the PLL yesterday. I thought that was cool. I thought it looked great. That might be something they want to try to keep. I think 1130 is too early. they got to figure out what the right time is to start that. But the way that they've made Memorial Day, lacrosse has really gotten the chunk. They, They are able to get people that don't watch lacrosse to watch the championship game on Memorial Day. I remember we were talking about that with uh, Tyus Bowser the last, because Malik Hall was a lacrosse player. We were talking about lacrosse. He's like, dude, I watch the championship game almost every year because it's become part of sort of the zeitgeist of the holiday. That, like, that's what's on TV. That's the big sporting event they present on TV. So if you're a sports fan, you're inclined to watch it. And it starts at noon, so before, like, any... If your baseball team is playing on an afternoon game Memorial Day... It starts before that game. Like they've figured out a way. So maybe the PLL is stumbling into something with President's Day, and can they make? Because nobody else wants it. I, I like the, as we said yesterday that there were hockey games, but they were just regular ass hockey games. Like there weren't anything that if if you had played the stadium thing on President's Day, maybe you can make that a thing. Like maybe you can create a vibe and an energy that people want to watch that. It's always a difficult thing to do with the afternoon on President's Day because not everybody has off on President's Day. Like, it's a federal holiday, but, like, not every business is like, yeah, we're taking off on President's Day. So it's a tricky thing to try to capitalize on, and I think that's why no one's ever really seized. Like, a lot of people don't even... I said this yesterday. People just don't want to take the day off. 
It's a winter holiday. Why would I take the day off? What if I just came to work? Can I have another day off in the summer? You think I'm not taking another day off in the summer because I came to work yesterday? You're wrong. I'm definitely taking another day off in the summer. I'm stockpiling. I'm going to maybe work it out so I don't have to work at all this summer. Wow. I threatened last year to like do the four-day schedule in the summer, and then, of course, I bailed on it immediately. I'm like, what would I do? I like I, I in, not in a, enough life to in live a, in a perfect is. world. I'm like I could spend another day with the kids, but then like that's gonna cost me money. Like no matter what, they're gonna want to go somewhere. Like they're not just gonna want to go ride the bike. Like they're gonna say, let's yeah. go to the arcade. Let's go to Six Flags. Let's just go up to, indoors. Like so, I I kind of bailed on it, but I've threatened that a couple of times to do the Howard Stern thing in the summer where I just do four shows a week and take a day off. I'll, f- I'll have that feeling come up again this year, and then I'll bail on that again. Inevitably, I'll be like, no, nah, I'm just going to go to work. I'm right. not someone who's good at not going to work. Like, I just, I was you always, need to, a, you need to wh- feel useful. Whenever, uh, whenever, like, I, I, it really is like, a, I'm supposed to be doing something today. Like, I can't, it's almost like I'm still in school, and I feel like their truant officer is going to come after me. Like, sir, aren't you supposed, when I worked in Arizona, we picked up, uh, a weekend national show on Sporting News Radio. So we were doing our show every day, and then we were going to add on Saturdays and Sundays on Sporting News Radio. So the decision that was made, because there were three of us on the show, is that each of us would get one day off during the week. And so we were all like, okay, that's cool. Like, that that works out since we got to work both days on the weekend. Like, we get one day off during the week that... It's totally off. And then you get to that one day and everybody else is at work. Like you can't go plan something with your boys. You can't be like, well, hey, I've got off on Tuesday. You want to go? <laughs> like, let's go ri- Let's go out for a go crazy on Monday night. Like it just doesn't work right. that way. And like they were still doing the show. So they were still asking me questions. I'm like, this is pointless. I might as well <laughs> just go to work. Um, so I, I've never been good at it. I've never been good at, at taking a day off work. It's just not in my nature. I, unless it's, you know, day like Labor Day, Memorial Day, the fourth, those days where everybody else is off and there's things to do and everybody's like, let's go to the pool. Let's go to the beach. Things like that. Like these president's day. It's very difficult. I don't know what I just did. There. I was trying to save my tidbit. Uh, so, uh, name the, name the three bullets to score the 40 points the most. No. Well, you got no. you named a couple of them already. The so. Wes Unseld? No, not Wes Unseld. Earl the Pearl. Earl the Pearl has done it the most. Great. Ten forty-point games. Phil Chenier. Phil Chenier. Uh, oh, he only did it once. Okay. I'm out. Walt Bellamy. Sure, and Gus Johnson. And Gus Johnson. There you go. All right. Top three. That was more bullets. That was a thing scores. we did. Tubular brought to you by Goose Flights, available in cans at the Green Turtle Bet Park Sportsbook in Canton as well as Alonzo's on Cold Spring Lane in Roland Park, also at all of the Glory Days grills in the state of Maryland. It's available in cans and six-packs as well at Costa Sin and Dundalk and Guilford Hall Brewery in Station North and available in six-packs and cases at the Wine Source in Hamden. One ninety-eight from every can sold goes to benefit the Goose Flights Foundation and what they're doing to provide non-emergency medical transport for those in need. Find out more pressboxonline.com slash gooseflights. Maryland, Wisconsin tonight at 9 o'clock on Peacock, preceded by Iowa, Michigan State at 7. Maryland baseball hosts Mount St. Mary's Day at 4. Big Ten Network Plus for that, so unfortunately not going to be for me. I, I like Maryland baseball a lot. I would watch more, but 
Just can't get me to subscribe to Big Ten Network Plus. Um, everything else, college basketball-wise, go to glennclarkradio.com and find it there. Devils Capitals, 7 on Monumental. CBS Champions League on the big CBS today. Inter Milan and Atletico Madrid at 3 o'clock. Champions League on Paramount Plus. PSV Eindhoven and Borussia Dortmund at 3. Uh, also on Paramount Plus tonight, the Women's Gold Cup gets underway. Uh, U.S. takes on Dominican Republic at 10.15. If you don't have Paramount Plus, there's a Spanish broadcast on ESPN+. Plus. USA, big soccer day. USA, Man City, and Brentford at 2.30. And WWE NXT tonight at 8 on the USA Network as well. Non-sports? Not really. Uh, ABC is having all their sh- network shows, uh, season premieres. Will Trent, the rookie, and mm. uh, it's sad, but it's the final season of The Good Doctor. Oh, he's a good doctor. <laughs> he is a good doctor. That's that's Kyle they, would say all they the, say. Whenever Kyle would read what was coming up on Tubular, it's a good doctor. He's a, he's a good doctor. It's not I bad. Couldn't, couldn't tell you anything at all about Paul that Giamatti show. and Jenny Slate will be on Jimmy Kimmel. What are they plugging? I think the Oscars and... Oh, well, he's nominated. Yeah, but Giamatti's right? in like, uh, The Holdovers. Oh, Jen- no, Jenny Slate has a comedy special on Friday. I enjoy on Jenny Prime. Slate. I, uh, she was on a show that I loved, and I've already forgotten what it was called. Uh, she definitely she did a voice on Big Mouth. No, that's not what she was, she was on a show. She was like a supporting character in Parks and Rec. Yeah. She was John Raphael's yeah, sister. sister. Um, she was, was she on in? a show that, no, she had a, a major role. It was her, and I think it was called Married. It was on FX, if I remember correct. Uh, I'll give it to you. It was yeah, married is what it was called. It was it only ran for two seasons. It was Judy Greer, Nat Faxon, Jenny Slate, Brett Gelman, and I believe Paul Reiser. Yeah, uh, Paul she voices Reiser. Tammy in Bob's Burgers. That's, that's yeah, I gave one. up on Bob's Burgers Bob's a long Burgers time ago. Great. No, it's not. It is. It's fine. It's fantastic. It's, it's agreeable. No, it's not. It's agreeable Woo. enough that like you, you're not offended by it, but it is not in any ways fantastic. It's just fine. So tremendous! Show. I, it was not worth sticking with after a little while. I, I mean, I also had to give up on all the other ones and Family Guy, Simpsons, all those shows. Like Simpsons is probably still brilliant. It's just you know. Also, well, I got to be not honest a with you. Viewing. It was a DVR problem because like when I was in the DVR era, the football games would always run long, and uh, so I go to like watch Simpsons on the DVR and watch the be, Cowboys game again. Right. It's too much. Too much. Can't put this much. I can't put much, this much effort into it. Sorry, I'm out. See you guys. Enjoy your show. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners. Oh, I didn't thank the guests. I guess I should have done that. Well, I, we can do it out of order. It's fine. Thanks to our great sponsors and partners. Live Casino and Hotel, Mother's North Grill, AJ Michaels, Guilford Hall Brewery, Royal Farms, Costa Sin, Superbook Sports, Glory Days Grill, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks today to Keith Law. Thanks to Terry Hasseltine, Patrick Stevens, Wes Brown. We'll get all of it up in the greatest hit section of the... Oh, my God. It's so good. Tab at GlennClarkRadio.com. Tomorrow... Uh, ben Verlander will join us tomorrow morning. Okay. Drew Forrester is going to be here. That's unfortunate. Yes. Um, I got to do two shows with Drew Forrester this week. I told two. him. I told him. You want to? He went four for ten in Dead or Alive. Four wow. for ten. It was a well, rough. What did he do? Rita went that? seven for ten. Okay. R- Drew went four for ten. He uh, killed off uh, <laughs> Sandy Koufax. Man. I got to be honest with you. I also would have thought Sandy Koufax <laughs> was dead. We haven't seen him in a long time. I know I that would have assumed been that probably Sandy Koufax been was dead. Uh, he killed off uh, Roberta Flack. He killed off Phil Donahue. He killed off uh, quite a few folks. It was a rough day yesterday. Well, I'm glad they're still with us. Dead or alive. I yeah. yeah. I mean, I was happy to find that out. Uh, it was a poor showing. All right. Stuff and things? Yes. Great. 
Thanks, everybody. Uh, I did that part. Uh, thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Tuesday evening. Go Maryland hoops, I guess. Yeah. Duke sucks. <laughs>